Hey, you filthy animals. Welcome to the Greg Medford Show. It's Greg here, coming at you from Phoenix, Arizona. Here in the Shactory, off to the side in our little man cave studio. We've been talking a lot of politics the last six months. We've had congressional candidates in. We probably had the next governor of Arizona and We've had senators in. We've had congressmen. It's been the whole rigmarole. Today, we're going to talk about other stuff. We may touch on some politics. We're going to touch on America. We're going to talk on touch on things that affect all of you that you many of you don't even know about how much it affects you or maybe you only have a little inkling as we've all gotten specialized and we're all out in our own little bubble on our own little computers our own little personal devices we're in our own little companies and we all think we're important and we forget sometimes how interconnected we all are and so many people who are safe in the country don't ever actually use their rights because they don't need them you only need those rights when shit gets a little weird so uh, we get a unique perspective today we're going to talk to we've got a guest travis haley from haley strategic partners he's um relocated here to arizona a couple years ago now right how yeah, long have you been, been down here it's been almost eight nine years now i think oh jesus yeah. well did you just move the, you're in a place in scottsdale over by uh, westworld now right yeah we've been in that building for almost about four years now oh my god yeah. time just goes really fast right. super fast so you were up in colorado and then came down here right that's right okay yeah. and yeah. and then you were doing the training well let, all right so everybody welcome say hi to travis haley <laughs> We're a little out of our normal uh, normal routine here. I usually have politicians; they want to dive right into it. Nah, man, I'm so, not a politician. That's for damn sure. I'm a warfighter. You know what's so funny is that <laughs> we met before, and I hate that I'm, I'm like, oh my god, how do I not remember? So, which did you go to my last place? Last, or how long yeah, ago was it? You guys were here. I, I guess it was probably three years ago at this point. Okay. Yeah. And did you guys just stop by, or some of the you know, some the, of the guys you were with just like like, hey, let's go, let's go check yeah, out this they, place? Some of the guys that I, on my team that are big fans of yours and the, and the blades they uh they said we got to go by and, and and see i think we were trying to actually talk about potentially doing a collaboration of something <laughs> you did one with somebody else though <laughs> well no we've done multiples i've made my own knives i've, I've been in blades i'm a survival uh, you know freak uh I'm a field craft guy so i'm always looking for great american companies that, that cool. can do that work in that specific space and, and and do a collaboration with great people so yeah we did it with with the guys over at tour because they're just like you guys, American. They're solid dudes, you know. Are they in so San Diego or something? Like that? Yeah, trying to get out. Um, <laughs> trying to get out. Hazmat tax alone is ridiculous. Apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, we've worked with a lot of great people. Uh, that are made they the guys grades. who? I, I just forgive me for interrupting. Are they those guys that they make? They talk a lot about how environmentally green their machining is and friendly and all that. Is that part of their? Is that in their stuff? I don't. You know what? That's a good question. But I know they have to be because of where they're at. Crazy. Um, when yeah, I hear that, I'm like, it's what an the hell? Form. So yeah, maybe I'm divulging too much. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Um, Where are they thinking of going, you know? I think they were talking about coming here. All right. Yeah. All right, cool. How big's, how big's our operation? Good size. Is it the same as mine? It's Bigger? similar. Very similar to yours. Oh, yeah. wow. Good yeah. for them. Yeah, very similar. So... um and are they all former... Are they vets as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Former Rangers, Marsoc guys. Um, they're... They're uh, they're current current operators that got out, and they're entrepreneurs. They're great guys, um, you know, hearts of steel, man. And uh, they they you can tell just like when I watch and I walk through your factory, and I can see everybody's attentiveness, their deliberateness. I watch for that. I watch for the human factors in the manufacturer. Sure. I, don't, I don't look at machines. I've I've I've, yeah. had, I've started in machines. Machine. I started machine shops. Um, you know, I, I look at the people and the compassion that drives what they do because. You know, it's like I always say, compassion's the number one attribute of a warrior. Because the more you care about something, the more you're going to fight for it, right? Like our freedom. 
um, or making this perfect piece of art, you know, that you guys make and, and, and then understanding the story behind it, I think is critically important as well. Um, you know, like I see your blades and I go, wow, it's got an interesting modern, but yet Westernish feel, um, but it's a work of art, you know, but I would carry it every single day kind of, you know, where it's not something I'm just going to put up on the wall or put it in the case. Um, and you know, where some people uh, may make something very similar to yours, but don't put the passion into it. And so I can, I can see that out there, man, on the floor. I, 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 you know, commend you for that. That's awesome. Um, and I think those are the kind of companies that we want to work with, you know, and, and that's where we, we met with those guys. I'm like, yeah, you, you put the same touch of love into every product you have because you want to kill somebody. You got to love them. You know, you got, you got to have compassion. You get, it's something my dad taught me very early on when I went off to Somalia in 93, uh, 94 tail end of that. Um, he said, Hey, do me a favor. If you ever have to kill somebody. And I was like, yeah, dad, I'm all of a sudden, you know, 30 dudes behind me on the payphone. I mean, you remember those days and, uh, yeah, no cell phones. And, uh, he's like, if you ever got to kill somebody, just do it as nicely as you can. And I was like, what the, f well, yeah. okay, I love you, dad. I got to go by. And it didn't hit me, man, until like probably 30 years later when I realized it, wow, that's probably the most important lesson I could have ever remembered. Oh. Um, and so my, I, my I, uncle had a similar we, uh, I remember I was deploying, I think it was two days before Thanksgiving, or it was the day before Thanksgiving. He said, hey, what are you doing? I'm going to meet you for a beer. Let's go out. We'll have a drink. And I showed up, and uh, he met me at this oak club, and we, we went in and had a cocktail. And he, did, he grabbed me. He was a huge guy in the biggest hands you've ever seen on a human being, and he puts his hands, and he goes, just remember, you have to live with yourself, whatever you do. Make sure it's just something you can live with. And I was like, <laughs> the words kind of stuck with me. Mm -hmm. He said, keep one hand on this ship and make sure you can live with whatever you do because you'll never forget it. And that was it. It was only advice I got before I got a kick in the ass and off, the, off we go. Yeah. And I think that's the discovery part. Like I wanted to hear more from my dad or like you probably like, what do you mean by that? And then it takes time for you to figure that out. It's just like, I can teach you how to ride a bike. I can show you videos. I can give you a manual. I can tell you all about the bike itself, but you're not going to really truly learn how to ride it until you go over the handlebars a couple of times. Yeah. Um, What'd your dad do? Is your dad, dad's a vet, obviously. He's an Air Force pilot. Yeah. yeah. What did he, he fly? He was into KC-97s, air to refuelers. Yeah. Yeah. And then he flew every day, man, until he couldn't. Uh, I grew up in the in the seat next to him, and I soloed when I was 16. Tried to beat him. He sold a, a steerman that he stole from an airport in Jefferson, Missouri with his brother. Oh, after yeah. Only in Missouri could you do that. Right. It's fantastic. And, uh, it was a funny story. He came home, and uh, after cleaning the side of the aircraft, because Uncle Ross was vomiting the milkshake down the side of this old steerman. Perfect. And he used to go out there and wash airplanes for, for free rides. And he'd sit there and watch, and, you know, you're an implementer, you can figure it out. And so he goes out there one night and takes off and comes home, and they sneak down the driveway and the farm, and there's the owner of the plane and Grandpa standing on the porch. And he's like, son, you don't think I know the sound of my own aircraft over my own town? Oof. Oh, <laughs> boy. And he said, if you're going to steal my damn airplane, then I might as well teach you how to fly it. Oh, boy. And that's how he got into aviation. And, and uh, you know, I don't fly anymore. Um, I'm contemplating getting back into it. Um, I do fly. I love parachutes. That's my my passion now. And so I'm a powered paramotor pilot. So I can really? put it in a Pelican case and I do adventure races all over the world. And I can go out here, you'll skim down the rivers and go through the saguaros. And it's just the most amazing free feeling in the world. And we're cruising 50 knots now on these things, man. And covering, we're doing races 1,200 miles in three days on these things, which is, you know, it's it hard. It sucks. You yeah. can seat for eight hours a day and the wind in your face, but it's, a, it's an amazing feeling. So, so what you're seeing is you're a, you're a laid back and moderate guy. You don't do intense stuff anymore. 
No, it's intense. You <laughs> yeah, saw me fly I know, up there. I, I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably slow down, but I, I don't know how to do that yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, the last time, I mean, I flew, uh, I did a surface level. The last time I actually flew, I did a surface level aerobatic uh, efficiency exam in a Yak 50. Nice. And I came back and I was, it was coming up on summertime. It was hotter than shit. I'd been sitting at the side of the runway for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. I held up waiting to take off. I flew over to Turf Soaring School, which is up on the way to Lake Pleasant. Yep. That's I right. Did, we fly up there a lot. I yeah. did my, uh, did my, you know, uh, the guy who used to own the field, he'd shut the field down for me to go up there and do my routine. I did my routine. And I remember you have to do this. You have to do a, I think it's a 3G inverted level turn at 50 feet off the ground. Mm. Okay. It's one of the requirements for getting your ACE evaluation. And I, I remember I did that, and I remember just cactuses going by my head, power lines on the northeast cor- or northwest corner of the area headed over towards the dam. Yeah, big substation there. Yeah, and I just said, Land, I said, man, I'm not saving anybody. This is too goddamn risky. If I have a bad day, I'm deader than shit. I came back and landed, and I, and I, I, ne- I, hadn't fl- I haven't flown since. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the margin of error, fifty feet running that fast, yeah, just very slim. Yeah, that's like that's like I got into base jumping for a little while, and I was like, you know what? I'd rather have, you know, it's like I look at parachutes on my back. I got fifty percent of a main parachute and fifty percent of my reserve, and I want to be damn sure before I cut that fifty percent of my life away before I go to the other fifty percent. When you're base jumping, you don't have anything. You got what you right. got, and uh, and I. How I many times did you base jump for? I did uh, six jumps until I was like, you know what? I'm done. You know, yeah. I'm not doing this anymore. Well, you did it. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a big wingsuit guy. I work for 5,000 skydives, you know, I'm speed flying, paragliding, power paramotoring, uh, flowing with some of the best guys in the world. And uh, I like that that world more than just going out and trying to take risks. And I get it. It's an art form, just yeah. like flying. Is People would look at aerobatics and go, your guys are crazy. But no, it's an art, man. You but have you done this squirrel suit? You've you been flying around those squirrel oh, yeah. suits? Yeah. Now you do that out of airplanes yeah, or air, off air, base? I've or, never oh. done it off base, no. I, I I think if I was single and lived in a van down by the river like I used Maybe. to, I would absolutely be living How far court. laterally can you go per 1,000 feet of uh, altitude if you're in one of those squirrel suits? Well, it depends on the suit. Just yeah. like, you know. If you, if you have one like maximized a, for going forward. Yeah, there's guys that are pushing envelopes man they're they're launching four miles out off of a dz at at, at sometimes four and five thousand feet instead of going up to altitude so, where uh, i forget the actual record but it's it's so it's almost one to one like what a thousand feet up you can get a thousand feet horizontal i don't don't quote me on the map but i think it's something around that it's pretty it's pretty damn good nowadays because so many suits are massive that they're wearing and they've got extender handles now so the suit comes out four to five inches past your hand where before it was you know right, your wrist right, line right. so you're talking Even another 10 15 percent or so yeah oh yeah i've seen guys come out of the back of airplanes and it's a weight thing too so you got a, a lighter guy like 150 pound little squirrel suit jumper and he jumps off the ramp he will actually pop and come up above the aircraft Right, and, as he bleeds off that, the airspeed, that, yeah. Yeah, his forward throw is not going down. It's like literally yeah. up first and then yeah. down. And um, and they, I've seen them get their descent rates down to an average of 19 miles per hour. So that was the math I was trying to think of. So if you're doing 100 and, let's say, 10, 120 miles per hour forward speed, your, your downward descent is about 19. So if that can figure out the, the glide path ratio from that. But yeah. it's, it's pretty okay. impressive. Yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah. I was interested in the only airplane that I ever landed with no engine. I was uh, leading a four ship and I took off, engine quit. I had to turn back to the airport. I was going to definitely crash into houses. So I turned out to the desert 
And I remember the math really quick was I got about a thousand feet forward for every thousand feet up. Mm -hmm. So it was a pretty radical, you know, big blunt engine, you know, radial engine aircraft that just felt like a brick with the power off. Sure. Yeah. And I remember I landed the airplane and, you know, props not turning and I just banged it in out at, I just made it to the desert out at uh, turf quietly came gliding in in this thing and i remember all these dudes came out and they looked like surfers with flip-flops on be like holy shit man that was <laughs> radical and i'm telling you my heart was pounding and i remember after i got out of the airplane i was like cool as a cucumber and i got out of the airplane and i fell off the wing because <laughs> my adrenaline dumped yeah. on me you know i was like oh my god so you landed off field um i actually you know the power lines right at the end there i just clipped the power lines and put it in on that dirt strip oh, you, of runway you did get there. it on okay yeah, yeah. okay and I didn't damage the airplane at all, wow. but no engine for a couple miles. It was bad. Wow. Yeah. And I remember my couple of my buddies landed, you know, they came back around and picked me up. Do you know, do you know, uh, do you know, uh, slick by any chance? He's the COO over at, um, Dylan arrow. He's a, yeah, I met him at the Dillon shoot we uh we just did recently. Yeah, he was yeah. a Vietnam chopper guy. Yep. He went on to have an epic career yeah, in F fifteen. Yeah, he was flying the he was flying the Huey that day with us. Yeah, yeah, cool. So he's a good friend of mine and he went for his first ride in the Yak with me one day and he ended up buying one. Oh yeah. And he was flying wing with me when that happened that day. It was pretty funny. So you're not flying anymore though? No, I haven't been I haven't flown in the last few years at all. Really? I got an airplane I'm finishing up right now and I was just looking at buying an airplane. Something fast moving. Is that because of business got away, family, whatever? Just that, because I don't think you're you know, I had so many from... friends die that I just kind of said, yeah, man, from acro stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people. Yeah, a lot of people. Well, I think was... I think anytime you're getting into the extreme aspects of any sport, and that's that's most extreme, you're going to get an aircraft. You yeah. Know? Um, it's it's like being a fireman. You're going to get burnt eventually. You're yeah. going to you're going to land off. You're going to crash. You're going to lose an engine. You're, something's going to happen, and you just got to be willing to accept that. And sometimes the resistance of that creates the suffering to go. No, nah, I'm not doing it. You know, yeah. it, the funny thing is, I'm such a risk. I'm such a risk comfortable guy. But now, the bigger the company gets, the more people rely on me. The less I feel inclined to just like. We got a lot of families to feed, man. Yeah, that starts making that makes me probably more nervous than even my own family because we're pretty taken care of at this point. I feel you. But I also like there's no adventure I feel like I need to go have anymore. I've I've had a I don't, there's no goddamn old ruin anywhere. There's no fucking building in Europe I need to see. <laughs> there's no Dalai Lama I need to go sit at the feet of. I don't need to go climb some fucking mountain to find out I'm a man. I just there's nothing I really want to go do anymore. Yeah, I'm mostly like you know try to find a way to you know, not bruise my kid's spirits with my rough way and just try to uh, try to find a way to fit into a world that I feel like I'm maybe should have been born like 150 years ago and I would have been a little more suited for it. I'm trying mm. to find a way to fit in. I, I probably, that's probably my life's journey right now, just to try and be a little bit more gentlemanly. I acknowledge that. Yeah, I feel that, man. And I, I think we all struggle with that, you know, in some way. Yeah. yeah, because I don't suffer fools kindly and I don't have a lot of patience for people that are wasting my time or doing dumb stuff. But I got to remember that 98% of the world is wasting time and doing dumb stuff. So it That's means right. I'm just annoyed all the time. Yeah. So I'm just trying to find a way to, I'm trying to like walk my own journey of uh, kind of grace, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I heard a quote, it was uh, kind of stuck with me because I, I, I'm constantly kinetic and non-stop hyperdynamic and uh like this injury right now is killing me it, it bothers me so bad what'd you do pull my damn calf muscle how'd you do that i was uh well i wish i had a cooler story but 
I was dumpster diving. <laughs> you were dumpster diving? Well, I pulled up back behind the office, and uh, I saw some of the boxes piled up, and the guys were trying to push them down. I was like, yeah, let me help you out. So I go and run to jump up the, the wall that divides the dumpsters, and then I felt that little rubber band pop in my cap. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Well, how old are you? 46. Oh, it's the, yeah. it's the time. I get it's it. the I time where we, we, that. we start finding out where our inherent drag is. You know, yeah. we start shucking parts. Well, ever since I, I had a I had a, a, a pretty bad skydiving incident a couple of years ago that blew me wide open as far as a hernia. It just it, it was a horrible opening on my parachute, and uh, so that's the last time I jumped. And and then I had a knee surgery about six months after that, and so that's COVID. And then all of a sudden this same leg. So I'm like, when is when am I going to get a break, man, from these injuries? Um, and then I try to push myself too hard in therapy and the next thing you know, I'm, I'm resting longer than I should. And, uh, yeah, it's one of those stupid injuries. Like you bend over, pick something up that doesn't weigh anything like on oh, my back. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm starting to feel. And, uh, and I've got some pretty bad damage in my body and yeah, uh, you know, so. like our, my knees, my back's pretty good, but my knees probably, probably took some damage just from carrying a lot of weight around when I was younger. Yeah. I've had five, five knee surgeries now. Something like, it's just from military shit. Well, Brian I'm Brock's. babying my knee because they tell me I'm probably going to need a knee replacement. Yeah, I know. So I will. I'm I'm trying to kick the can down the road to sixty because I only want to do it once. Right. And they say every ten years they're getting another seven years of life out of the joint. So if I make it to sixty, you got it. You'll get me a hundred year <laughs> joint. That's the way I'm thinking about it. So I just yeah. got to get to sixty with it. Yeah. And I think it goes back to that that saying that old quote that stuck out to me was because I'm a pussy and I don't want yeah. surgery twice. <laughs> I'm so afraid of getting anesthetize a cut, man. Yeah, I hate it. Um, yeah, they told me I, I told my calf muscle, and then, uh, I went to the VA. Of course, the, the amazing care that I get there. Um, they rejected me and said, "No, you're not getting imagery." And I was like, "I need an ultrasound, man, uh, like right now." And I said, "My my, I'm black and blue from my knee down to my foot. I've got cyanosis in my toes. I got a low pedal pulse, man. I'm not screwing with you. I think I've got some compartmentalization going on or some blood clots." Nah, it's not how calves tear. You're good. And, of course, I got a script for Motrin. Then they downgraded to 600, not 800s anymore. So I was really disappointed about that. Because Motrin's the problem. It's not the oxycodone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I go home in excruciating pain. Two days later, I check into another ER down here. And uh, they bring me in in 10 minutes. They do an ultrasound. They're like, yeah, you're lucky, man. You got massive blood clots, multiple blood clots. And we're putting you on. So I was admitted for seven days on top of that. So now there's an investigation in the VA and... Uh, who knows how that'd go. The VA but, is well-intentioned, but I always tell my does. friends, like every most of my friends who go there with something serious get dead, so I just like, don't right. go there. Well, go I, to the mail. I said, hey, I need an ultrasound. They're like, ha-ha, they laugh. And I'm like, why are you laughing? They're like, dude, you could have a heart attack, and we can't even do an MRI on you right now. I'm like, you're an ER. What the hell are you talking about? And uh, Which is crazy because an ultrasound's almost free. It's a, it's not, that's nothing. It's not a big yeah. Yeah, MRI machine. You know, right. It's not a CAT scan. They it's, probably have the person that doesn't know how to read the screen. Right, you know? right. Um, so now they refuse me and that's next thing you know, I'm, I'm is that down Phoenix, now. Is that the Phoenix months. VA? Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Well. I've had great care there and then I've get just the most absolute horrid, like I'm going to die. I need to get out of here now. You yeah. know, kind of care. Everybody I love and enjoy, I say, oh no, go to Mayo, no matter what it costs you. Yeah. I go to Mayo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But. So listen, fill some gaps for me in here. Okay. So yeah. you don't, you were obviously enlisted in the Marine Corps. Mm -hmm. Uh, you spent 15 years in the Marine Corps. You were with second force. I started with first recon, then went out to second force recon, okay. and uh, went off active duty. Went to the reserves and uh, ended up. And who who were you with in the reserves? Fourth force recon. Okay, is that yeah. they're not out of Louisiana? Are they? Where are they out of? No, that's uh, third. So the fourth was out of Hawaii, okay. and then we had a dead out there, 
and my my wife at the time was a dermatologist in the navy so we took a she took a was that a different wife or that the current wife what she was doing at the time that was my ex-wife okay current, just current okay. Um, girlfriend right now it practice practice wife yeah oh, wait a minute wait a minute your first wife is now your girlfriend no no no, no. oh no, okay that was my first ex-wife my your damn. first ex-wife now i'm confused how many wives have i had <laughs> No, so you've had one wife, yeah. My, and you now have my a wife, and now I have a girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, we've been together for four years and, <laughs> and, and uh, having a great life. But uh, yeah, so she was. We were married for eighteen years. She was a dermatologist in the Navy. She was a commander. And uh, when she got out, and uh, that's what led us eventually to Colorado. She started a practice there, and, and then I went to the Magpul stuff and took over Magpul. And uh, before I started this venture down here, and um, so yeah, I took over a platoon out there at Fourth for a little while. Uh, reserve life is tough. And so I, um, and then we had to move around and started getting busy with the Magpul things. I was traveling back and forth to Boulder from Hawaii every week to go to the office mm. and then training 40 courses a year on top of that. So uh, to build a little, a toll. to build a little <laughs> back end for anybody who's watching this. So you got hired into Magpul by the leadership there and you spearheaded a training division of Magpul. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. They asked me, Rich came out to Hawaii and said, Hey, we, we love what you're doing on the training side. You're starting to make a name for yourself. And then, uh, um, you know, he was a reconnaissance Marine as well. And so at that point, um, he said, Hey, I want to get into training. And I know you're wanting to get into product development because i had a little machine shop in hawaii and i was starting to make some of the little parts like the bad levers and the lace at plates and stuff that, that people are familiar with on the magpul product line and uh and he came out and said hey i want to i want to have you help me build a world-class training company and i said well magpul's a phenomenal brand and uh, I'd, I'd be honored but let me figure out how i'm going to do that with my company and we worked that out and um, and he said, oh, we'll just fold it in and, and yeah, we'll, we'll make yeah. this stuff well, for it was, you. So my company was Simply Dynamics. And then we took Magpul and then added the Dynamics and created Magpul Dynamics. And uh, so that was my company at Magpul. And we kicked it off and started doing the media stuff. Cause I, I, I felt something there. I was like, something's about to happen with this social media thing. And, um, you know, YouTube was fairly new at the time. Yeah, what year are we talking? We're talking, uh, I guess... So I left Blackwater in 2005 uh, after contracting for a while, started my own company. And so I would say that was 2007 is when I stepped into Magpul. And uh, and then we hit it right at the right time. I said, hey, we got an idea. Let's. Rich loved film. I loved film and, and sharing stories and said, hey, nobody has um, videos of a class, right? Nobody knows you can actually go out to a range with an instructor or a group of great peers and have the greatest time in the world, shooting and having fun with people, like-minded people. Um, and so we decided let's do this and we created this DVD set that was insane how fast it blew up and, and a lot of people have called it the, you know, revol revolutionized the industry of training back then because <clears throat> mobile training was, was kind of, it was even hardly present, right? You had some great people back then that were teaching, um, but they weren't global it wasn't it wasn't household names right because everyone was still doing it as a cottage industry out of their range or out of their place they hadn't found a way to scale it That's outside right. of their personal touch yeah and so we decided if we're going to get into this training which we're going to keep doing that and keep sending the trains out to every town and help people but we need to tell people about it. we need to tell that story and let people know everyday people you know moms dads husbands wives cops military guys you name it or the responsible armed community you can do this and so we decided let's educate 
let's motivate, let's empower, and let's inspire people to get off the couch and go, yeah, you can actually come out here and be one of these people. So, you know, we had different characters. And so you could associate with, you know, the, the woman in the class, the cop in the class, the, you know, the military guy, responsible citizen, the hobbyist, a competitive shooter. And it just blew up from there. And we, we was an experiment, you know, it was, it was an expensive experiment, but it worked. And so we then ended up doing, I think, five other labels at that point <clears throat> or volumes. And, uh, at that point, the, it was about a, probably a year and a half into the training side and this is blowing up. And then they asked me to be the CEO of the parent company because of leadership aspects. And, um, that, that was kind of hurting there at the time. Um, and they said, Hey, you're the, the only person that's fresh. You, everybody kind of likes you and your innovation and your mindset. Uh, what do you think about taking over the company? And I was like, I, I didn't sign on for that, but if that's what you guys need right now. I'll absolutely okay. do it. And so, so I took it on. So, okay. So th that's the, I love the executive jump. I love seeing how people make the executive jump. So, you know, like guys like me, I just clawed together a pile around me until the pile was big enough. All of a sudden I was in charge of something. Sure. I mean, that wasn't my intention. It just ended up that way. I was like, oh, I want to be in charge. It didn't work. Um, <laughs> so you went out there basically as a, uh, in a partnership with a component of the company. And then the guy who hired you was rich. Yep. And then did he step away from the uh, running of the company? And no, no. Rich was a, a phenomenal innovator and, and designer. And so I think he wanted to, as I'm doing now, um, trying to figure out, instead of working in the business every single second of the day, which I'm, I'm again, in Connecticut, I like to do that. I have to realize, you know, when we start to grow our companies, um, that I need to be working on the business. And so what are the things that I am going to inject myself into, you know, the creative aspects and marketing aspects? Um, but is and, that what you were doing for him? You were operationally running the company, operationally running the company. and then he was <laughs> sitting back doing the strategic, bigger thinking for Magpul. He is was that kind of, okay. absolutely. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And, and did so, you learn a lot from him or was it just a symbiotic relationship? It was, was, is he was, older than you? He is a little bit older than me. Yeah. He's an older era Marine. Um, not by much though. Uh, I think he was in during... I mean, is he he's 50? A golf, he's a golf guy. I think he was. Oh, so he's probably my age, 52, 53? Yeah, I think, about, I think he's about that age. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. he, but he was a couple of years ahead of you in, in his professional growth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was. Okay. He, I mean, Magpul started in 1999. When he got out of the Marines, I believe, is that when, that's when he started making the Magpul, you know, Magpuls, the actual original product, um, and selling them out the back of his truck at, at gun shows and everything else. And then next thing you know, boom, it's blowing up. And then he's making making stocks and does grips he, and did he sell the company or is he still on it he sold it yeah okay. and uh i i left at that point because i wasn't wanting to be involved in that issue. are you guys still buds we don't talk no okay no um yeah did it end cranky so, or just you know professional it did. Oh, okay it, well and again i don't like airing out stuff to the industry the consumer because they don't they don't need to know that but um, I will tell this story because a lot of people ask me, <clears throat> you know, why'd you leave that great train? You know, it was moving so fast. And I was like, well, that's kind of the problem for me. Um, taking that fast executive jump, like putting myself into all of a sudden managing hundreds of people yep. and going, okay, I, I can do this, right? I've done this before. I just got to figure it out in the commercial side, the business yeah, side. How to translate the skill set over. Yeah. So I, I, I'm extremely grateful and appreciative for that yeah. opportunity that they gave me to learn and grow and actually get back to my roots and get back to my principle because when that train starts running so fast man and everybody loves it it's got an amazing brand amazing product the development that we're doing amazing storytelling next thing you know as engineer of the train you know as a ceo i felt like i was abandoning my principles because i look out the window and go okay here comes another town does it have anything to offer us now let's keep going go find a bigger city you just fucked up you just abandoned your principles and your core 
And I felt like I did that. Um, I, it, I'm not speaking for the rest of the team. So you're talking about like when that critical mass happens where something grows for the sake of growth instead of for the journey. When somebody says, now we got to make big to stay big, you just yeah. messed up. Yeah. Um, you have abandoned the principle because you just abandoned the people. You just blew through a town and those people say, whoa, what about us? We're not important anymore. Right. And I, I didn't like that feeling. I, again, I can't speak for the rest of the executive sure. staff and the owners, but uh, I, I, I was like, guys, we need to slow this train down. We've got we've done so great for the last few years, um, and and I think now we're letting our egos get to us a little bit. <clears throat> and uh, of course, that was where I was told, well, no, we got to stay big, make big, keep going. And I realized that when I started seeing the you know the auditors coming in, I'm like, hey, are we we having issues or something I need to know about? Um, and next thing you know, uh, I'm like, I'm gonna get off this train. As it's moving, hauling ass down the track. So let's let's insert yourself into a wild, wild west movie, right? And everybody sees that train pumping smoke coming into town. Everybody gets excited about it because it's got stories, it's got entertainment, it's got people that you've never seen or haven't seen in a long time, and the you know everything, medical supplies, total package, food, total package right? And the town thrives from that train, and the train thrives from that town, and moves down the tracks to the next town. We stopped doing that. At least I felt that we stopped doing that. <clears throat> and uh, so what I decided to do was, if that wasn't gonna pump the brakes and get back to our principles, I was jumping off. And so I made the decision. We all kind of made the decision like, hey, we're going. So I jumped and uh, I guess if I'm still in this movie scene, I beat the shit out of myself rolling down this hill and I get up, look at the train. It sells, right? Which Rich told me he would never sell ever, right? Because that went against his original manifesto, which I was very proud of. Um, and that's his decision, right? He's a business owner. He can do what he wants. Just like if I want to sell one day, I can do that. Just like you can do that yeah. one day if we ever choose to do that. Um, it's America, right? Capitalism. So <clears throat> at that time, I'm still learning, though. I don't understand all this. I'm trying to figure it out. And that's why I'm walking through the desert like, how the do I introduce myself back into the industry after that, man? And I realized with great friends, great mentors that kind of helped me through that process and said, look, Travis, <clears throat> it's not about what you've done. It's about what you're going to do. Yeah. And we know that, right? We just forget it at times. And I, so I decided the best thing that I can do is not start another train Let's start a train station. And that's what Haley Strategic Partners is. That's why I've partnered with all different types of companies, like the guys at Tor, you know, as an example. We've worked with Arteryx, we partner with Surefire, we partner with Bravo Company Manufacturing, GCO, Safari Land, you name it. We have amazing partnerships that have lasted for many, many, many years. And 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 our entire job, when people say, What does Haley Strategic do? I say, we're a bridge. That's the only way I can describe it. I mean, we're into machining, injection molding, we have soft goods, we have manufacturers all over the country. Um and, and a lot of people don't know that about how big we are because it's more of a training thing. We got a training company. It's small. You know, I got a staff of incredible instructors, um, you know, that that are very hard to find guys like them because of what they know and do. And, and where uh, do you guys primarily train? Do you train all over? We or? do. Mobile training. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> we do have a... a a home range. Uh, we have a lab so here. It's a, it's a simulations lab. So we work with companies like Vertra, uh, which is down in Tempe, and they have some of the best simulators in the world that create the realism effect for us to be able to study human factors of people. So we get into the brain mapping, the ocular science. Uh, we teach people what their eyes are doing and why they're doing it that way. Um, why you're not going to get a clear front sight in certain situations versus others. Um, to explain a little bit of science behind it, people go, wow, why didn't we know that? Military, why didn't I know that as a cop? Why am I always forced to do this when I know it's physiologically not going to happen so we give them that map that bridge to that information um, biomechanic studies we do motion capture um, physiological studies and seeing how stressors uh, affect people on different conditions 
and uh, and all the time we're manufacturing products in the background. So if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I'm," uh, let's say you had somebody come to you and say, "Hey, I want to make like total combative gunfighter person." Do you have like a regimen like, "Oh, this is what we would do. It will take eighteen months. If we can do this. No. It will take nine months. It will do." I mean, do you have a? No, I wish we had a. I wish there was such thing as a full package like that. Um, as if we might. I mean, even the military, we don't get that, right? Even if you're in a special operations tier one unit, you're not going to get every slice of the pie every single day like we would wish we could get. Um, and so we'll focus on the ones that are the most important. Uh, the foundation. Well, if somebody says, what's the most important place to start for training into weapons and tactics and defensive tactics and martial arts, which I know you're, you've been doing for a long time, um, blade work is, is one of those slices of the pie, right? <clears throat> but the most important for me is health and wellness, number one, not just because I'm jacked up, but because I, I realize the consequences of bad decisions, of, of not training the right way, of not working out the right way, of not eating healthy, you know, being on the road constantly is tough for us. And so we have to exercise some of those, those principles that we teach every day. And so we work with Exos, the guys right here next door to you, um, best sports performance company in the world. You know, it's $20,000 a week to put our teams through their training, but we do that. Well, you got your, your again, like you mentioned, the old school trainers that get in their car and go from range to range around the country. That's not progressing. That's not moving us forward. Um, that's status quo, and I'm not doing that. <clears throat> so that's why I dove into the science behind it, which costs us a, a ton of money, ton of time, ton of resources, people. We've got ocular scientists on staff, psychologists, biomechanics experts, kinesiologists. Uh, this is, this is all at your there. place, this your facility all, here at Scottsdale? All right here at Scottsdale. How yeah. big is your place over there? Uh, I think it's about 50,000 square feet for that that building, the headquarters building itself with the training center inside of it, which is small and about to multiply because it's been tested now for about four or five years. And we're about to open that up into another about 6,500 square foot space. Uh, so all our research and development engineers, ID guys, uh, everything that we use for the soft goods side, hard goods, we, you know, we make little things, sights and, and little metal, metal trinkets for guns, sling stuff. So hardware. you guys are doing some machining over there? Not in-house. We're outsourcing that okay. stuff. Yeah. I used to do that. That's how I started. I started making those things in my garage on, I bought an old Smithy bench top one time. Yeah. I was, I remember calling a company. I'm not going to name the company, but, <laughs> uh, I said, Hey, I got an idea. I'm just a Marine. I don't know shit. And I want to make this thing because I think it'll help us. Uh, I think it was the bad lever that I came out with a little, you know, button assist. You push down and send your bolt home on AR. <clears throat> and that way you can take a couple steps out of the manual of arms when I'm either loading or clearing a double feed or something. And they said, well, what's wrong with the current weapon systems? No, it's going to create liabilities. You're going to get somebody killed. I'm like, okay, uh, not necessarily the case, but if you believe that. And anyways, I call another company and uh, they said, well, yeah, we can do that, but it's going to be at least a 5,000, you know, MOQ. I'm like, what's MOQ mean you know, back in that day? Uh, and they're like, yeah, we're not working with you. Next thing you know, I see the product come out and I'm like, dude, people are copying me now. I just called this guy to give him an idea. Next thing you know, he's making it like that's messed up, man. Why, why would the defense industry do that to each other? Well, now oh, now we know, right? <laughs> Holy shit. So... I eventually, I was sitting, I was holding a fork one night. I was so pissed off when I see this on the internet. I'm like, how is, somebody made this fork? And I want to figure it out, man. You know, I'm an implementer. I've always been sewing and always, you know, tinkering. And I'm the Dremel clay sculpture guy. I'm like, hey, man, here's a knife. Can you make this? And they're like, well, is that clay? Yeah. You know, it's an idea. I got an idea. And I believe if you got an idea, you got a business model. You just got to figure that part out the hard way. And so, um, Next thing you know, I, I said, you know what? I'm going to go buy a damn machine and figure it out. So I, I was an electrician as a kid growing up, and that's what my dad did for 45 years after he got out of the Air Force. And um, so I said, I'm going to go online, buy one of them stupid machines that you just 
punch in a bunch of numbers, and next thing you know, you're printing out products, right? Well, because it in, works just like that. Just like that. You know that. <laughs> so yeah. Long story short, I I go online. I bought a whole sit, uh, Smithy bench top. Like you know, and I'm thinking, oh, how big can that be? It's not that big. So all of a sudden, this flatbed truck pulls up to my base housing, officer housing in Hawaii. Oh my god. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? And they pull this thing off and they're like, where are you putting this, man? I'm like, I guess in the garage. So I had to move everything out of the garage. We put the CNC machine in there and my buddy comes by and, and hits the brakes. And I'll, he's like, what are you doing with freaking CNC machine, man? I was like, I, I was asking myself the same question, Matt. <laughs> And he's like, I'll be right back. So he, he takes uh, off. Objects in a uh, picture looks <laughs> yes. bigger than look in, than they yeah. appear. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, what did I just do? Now, I wired it all up because I'm, I'm like, yeah, I got it. But I didn't even know how to turn the damn thing on, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to go through the DVDs and software. He comes back with a case of beer. He's an Aloha Airlines pilot, electrical engineer. And he was married to a female officer on the base. And he's, I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm going to help you figure this out, man. We sat there all night long and he figured out running tool paths and we actually held the first part in our hand the next morning. And I was like, holy shit, we did it. And it was rough, you know? And uh, so I started networking and went to the University of Hawaii and said, you guys got any scrap metal out here? And they're like, yeah, in the back behind the shop, we just throw the crap out there. So you find chunks of 70, 75. And I'm like, okay, this is on. And I started doing small run productions and making slings for Marines and Army guys in Hawaii. I started making some of the plates and bad levers from competitors. And <clears throat> and then, of course, the training started kicking off, and that's when start people started seeing it. And that's where were you were in Hawaii? Were you at Iwakuni, or where were you at? No, I was at K-Bay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Kanye Bay. That's oh, oh, yeah. Oahu. Yeah. That's on the north, uh, south. What is that? Is that the south side? That's south side. Yeah, yeah. okay. I always get confused too because you never really think about how the other I ones know, are oriented. Weird. You know, I lived there for five years and I didn't know where the hell I was. You know, it's like it's paradise stops being yeah. paradise. You, know, you live 50 foot from the beach. You don't actually go to the beach because you got a job and a routine. Um, but no, I, I started doing this and I was like, man, I can I can do this. And then I, I got some more machines and then started getting some sewing machines. And that's when the Magpul thing had happened. But uh, yeah, I, I after that whole great, I mean, amazing experience, you know, I, I wanted to get back to my roots. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to create a partnership company. I'm going to help other companies that might need this, this information, marketing, experiential marketing, film, photography, uh, again, just simple storytelling about their product line. And we still do that to this day. You know, that's why we love still partnering with anybody that's, you know, of course, made in America and, and doing the right thing for people and, and, and have compassion first and are vulnerable people, right? Um, and when I say vulnerability, I don't mean weakness, right? Vulnerability means opening yourself up to an attack where weakness means not being able to withstand an attack. And so that's, again, the second principle for me as, as, a, as a gunfighter. And uh, we don't have the ability to check in with ourselves and, uh, and be patient with ourselves, which, you know, coming back full circle to that, that quote earlier is if we can't find patience in ourselves, how the hell are we supposed to find patience in all the world? You know, but I think the world makes us impatient nowadays because, I mean, look what we're dealing with, you know. Yeah. But being able to sit back and go, okay, let's, let's have a vulnerable moment real quick. Let's think about what I care about. Um, and that's going to drive my principles right now. And then that allows me to see the third component for me is seeing the forest, right? Um, <laughs> and some people can't see the forest. Yeah. You know, some people just cannot yeah. see it. And yeah. I, I have prided myself on the ability to see through it. And if I can't see through it, I tell people, it's all right but can you see the step in front of you? Yeah. Right, just take that step. That's a crazy line I walk all the time too because I'm I'm probably forest fixated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not worried about the trees. I'm like, all right, we got this problem. I'm like, yeah, don't worry about that problem. We'll get that figured out. Well, we got this problem. Oh, don't worry. We're going to step over that. Don't worry. And I think it drives people crazy sometimes who are down in the weeds still fighting. You know, they're fighting yeah. the daily battle out in the, in the building. 
Do you think that's an innate thing for you, though? You're born that way, kind of raised that way, acted that way all the time, or is that something that you've gained with experience as you can say, hey, don't worry about those trees, man. They're not, you know, we're, I, I've got it, man. Some guys in my shop are like, oh, we need to focus on this. And I'm like, no, trust me, you don't need to waste your time on that. I think it's uh, indomitable forgiveness. Indomitable forgiveness. I, and what I mean by that is there is no problem I'm encountering that hasn't been encountered hundreds and thousands of times before and I'm reasonably sharper than the average cat, we'll figure it out. Yeah. So I never sweat that shit. Well, one man can do, another can do, right? Yep. Yeah. And, 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 then, uh, and then I guess I have this indomitable spirit. I think about my grandfather when he came over from Greece, and he was a young boy, and by himself, it was during World War I, ships were being sunk by German U-boats in the Mediterranean. And uh, he didn't know food was included, so the 14-day passage he didn't eat. And uh, he came in through Ellis Island and came into New York. And I think about wow. the courage. That's a different world back then, man. Of a 14-year-old doing that on their own? Yeah. I think about that, and I'm like, we could do this. I'm like, we could do this. Mm -hmm. we could, and, 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 then, and then the other thing is I try not to be reactive to anything in my life. Um. Uh, and when I make mistakes, it's when I'm being reactive. I try to be proactive. Mm -hmm. So I'm always trying to look out in front of the market. I'm always trying to look. You know, I was one of the first guys really doing social media knife stuff. Uh, and it's one. Of, it's the explanation for how we're here yeah. in a challenging. Smart. Now, there's younger guys coming along who can do it. The social media is a lot more mature than it was, you know, a dozen years ago. But it wasn't being used very well 12 and 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I've made it in just in time. And, and now I don't think I'd be as good at it because the young people are so damn savvy with it. Yeah, well, see, I think seeing that forest a while back is what created the, the foundation that now you have the wisdom of using it for so long where all these guys are jumping in right now. They're just trying to create a brand. Yeah. They're not they're trying to create some story about what they think is happening and instead of just saying, Hey, here's exactly what's happening. There's also, yeah. you know, the social media has turned into a almost an embodiment of the Kardashian effect where it is the sizzle. There is no steak. You know? They used to say, you know, sell the sizzle, don't sell the steak, the steaks are coming. Well, th there's no steak, it's just sizzle. That's right. Um, and this is where I see a lot of young knife makers and manufacturer guys that I try to help. They don't understand this whole back end of all these machines and all this talent and how much time it takes you know when i buy a machine i know when if it's new technology it might be six months to a year before i've got it fully implemented and i'm delivering it to the marketplace like my production grinders you just just turn those on those require a whole specialty yeah, skill set to get to something to, to one one hundred thousandth of a pass right that's a little hard to do <laughs> yeah and you think yeah. about the money that goes into that time yeah yeah so you know it's not just a half a million bucks to buy it it's the time and training to get the competency the time and training is more than the machine like the half a million bucks of the machine I'm like eh. <laughs> I, I, now when i was 10 years ago i was like oh, i'll never be able to get one of those and now i'm like man the machine's nothing <laughs> running the machine's a big deal just like buying the coolest rifle in the world They're, there's, you know, a guy that really knows how to work it is what's important, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you made uh, you made a jump, an executive jump that was a bit of a fire hose, I imagine, to the Absolutely. brain at the time. Huge. So yeah. he made a big leap of faith with you. He, he saw a bunch of potential and made a huge leap of faith. Yeah. Did you feel like when you first got the job, it was you were in over your head or it was too much for you or you hadn't earned it or deserved it? Or did your ego check all of those doubts and you're like, fuck it, man, I can do this? Ego. 
Okay. Yeah. So and I don't in think retros- I, in, I, in retrospect, <laughs> did, was it way over your head? Yeah, absolutely. Come on, man. That's <laughs> okay. huge. Yeah, okay, cool. No, I would never, I'd never sit here and try to bullshit anybody on that, man. That's a big step to take on that much money, that much, that many people, that many processes How big was that the you company don't know the anything about. I think we were pushing 100 employees at that time. Yeah. Yeah, I Pe- think so. I think it was that, almost that big. People don't realize, you know, when... And it I, grew exponentially after that. Yeah, I talk to politicians who are running, who've never run a team. They've never built a team. Um, running a team is one thing. Building a team is a whole different thing. Uh, and, you know, so you stepped into a reasonably functioning ecosystem. Yeah, oh yeah. And- that's that was, that was what I didn't have when I started HSP, right? Because when I... You know, I I had an entire accounting department, an entire shipping, receiving, quality control, right. you name it, everything right. that we have today, we we had then, and so now I had to. I guess it was easy to plug and play. Hey, accounting, I need this. Hey, hey ops, come here. Hey, hey, logistics, sit down. Let's I, just like I take over a Marine Corps team, you know, or a platoon, uh, or a company of people. It's very easy for me to do. Um, and I think that's where they put the trust in me as well from a military leadership background to say, hey, you, you communicate well. You're very well received by everybody. Uh, you're, you're compassionate towards people. You sit down, you listen to their problems more than what we want to. And I'm like, well, it's people's the number one thing, man. You know, if, if somebody, one of my guys actually came up to me the other day and said, boss, quick question. I'm like, go. He's like, what's the most important thing about a business? I was like, people. I turned and I walked away. And he's he's steamed over that answer for and he's got a giant report about it and everything else because that that is the truth right how much time do we really invest in our people um, I think if you don't do that you'll regret it and I, I regret that in the past by by not again part of abandoning that core was not taking care of just the customers that we abandoned was also the, the people that you're working your their ass off for you you forget about them sometimes and and I'll never forget that again ever um, and so. If I find out somebody's hired without my uh, uh, approval, which sometimes happens, you know, I'm more level, you know, shipping guys, things like that that come in off the street, younger guys, uh, I make a, a, an, an instant priority to shut everything down and go down and sit down with them and talk to them and figure out their story. What's your, what's your deal? Why are you here? What are right. you, what, How do we fit background? together? Yeah. You know, and I want to know why are you here? Yeah. You know, why us? I still drive, you know, I, I know I drive the, the team here crazy because I still like to hire everybody personally. You know, we're in like that 50 person range yeah. right now. Um, and uh, though I'll get people, the team brings us out, this great guy. And I sit down and have three questions. I'm like, oh, he's a bad fit. This guy wants to really go uh, fucking run a squirrel farm in New Mexico. Why, <laughs> why are we going to waste time with this? Get a year training and he's going to get an SBA loan. So uh, I'm, I, 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 I like the personal touch being connected to everybody. And then you get to that size where you transition where you can't be because the, the, the natural churn is so big that you have to be doing this. Your time eventually stuff. becomes very valuable to, to yeah. do these things. Most, most guys, you know, can't evolve the personal evolution that's required. I remember when I first started the company, it was we Mary Band of Brothers. It was 10 veterans and we were all just fucking dirty and making shit, saying whatever we wanted. And then... We were 20 and there were a couple of girls who worked up front yep. and then it was like, watch what you say a little bit. And then, uh, and, 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 and so now it's, you know, and you know, they cost more than we do. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is, is, um, most people are, when they're a good team member, when you're at 10 people at 25, they're not a good team member. A lot of times I've experienced they like that size. It fits mm-hmm. their emotions. Very disruptive when you grow. Yeah. yeah. And so when you're at 20, the employee who likes that size, when you get to 50, most of the time doesn't like 50. Mm-hmm. And almost nobody who works for a less than 50 company 
when you're a hundred wants to be there because it's too impersonal. They like, so there's this challenge for me to try and not lose my team as we grow. Cause I'm obsessed with how to grow the right way. That's sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and part of that is bringing the whole team along to like the growth. Cause there's a tendency to go, well, why do I just work in my ass over here? I don't care if the company's four times bigger. That's just a pain in the ass. Right. I got three people coming to me, ask me questions now. So I got to find a way to bring everyone's elevate their perspective on the size of the company as we grow and not lose, not lose the whole bunch. Yeah. How yeah. big's the team that you're kind of holding together over like on site where you're at? On site, because you've mentioned a lot of people. Yeah, about fifty. We're about fifty right now okay. at, at at the headquarters, and then of course our manufacturers that we have. Uh, we've got more than that um, in some of those so shops around okay. the country. So. And tell me the primary thing. I'm sure you've got. There's some folks who are going to watch this who know way more about you than I do because I'm frankly too busy to watch anything anymore. I I don't. I mean, I don't know how much time you spend watching uh, dude, stuff I online. Don't, I don't have a lot of time either. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, give us an idea of. Um, you've got obviously your training company, mm-hmm. and then you have a bunch of. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to say satellite enterprises, but you have a bunch of enterprises that spin off of that. They're all like yeah, it's merchandise start- products or technical products that spin off from your core company. That's right. Yeah. We, you know, I started in training because I, I always believe that's a, a great core for us to have because as we're out there training, we're finding requirements, you know, we're working with military guys or, you know, responsible armed citizens. And it's and, kinetic and there's a lot of information. Yeah. So we, both directions, we right? keep our, our, we call our black side division, our, our product development division, very busy with just the ideas the training team comes in with. Um, let alone military. How many guys clients. are on the training team, if you don't mind me asking? We, about nine. Okay. Yeah, and that's it's hard because when I start talking, you know, hey, you, you got to kind of have a background in kinesiology or understand it or be able to articulate the basic fun because they're not going to bore somebody with a biomechanics discussion or neuroscience discussion. I don't want to do that. I want to make it fun. You know, I want to, hey, this is how your brain's going to react. This is how your eyes are going to react. Here's why. Um, and <clears throat> to have a, a team of guys that can not only just teach stance grip and sudden line side picture and all those things but can you can you also teach them the anatomy of why you're teaching that grip yeah, it's a whole different level give me a justification don't just say hey do this with your hands like you know hey fill the void fill the well that's not how the human hands work right that's not mechanically how i would if you told me to crush this bottle i would not grab it like this i'd grab it like this like a baseball bat like a golf club like a ringing out of towels so one of for a hundred years been holding a handgun backwards until we have a kinesiologist or biomechanics expert come in and sports guys and say uh yeah why are you guys doing that because if you gave a guy that at, over here at exos like these professional athletes and said hey here's a gun you know it recoils you've never shot one though right nope i'm scared to hell of them okay well you're an athlete so don't be scared for a second and i want you to grip this gun to where you think it wouldn't move when you shot it they would do that Right. So it's like, okay, good confirmation. Now we bring in the mechanics experts. We look at the principles of biomechanics and we take on all that. It's like you're, you're a pilot, SR 71 Blackbird, right? <clears throat> U2 spy plane. When Lockheed Martin Skunk Works back in the day, um, I was very fortunate with my dad. Uh, he, he served under Colonel Paul Tibbetts. And, uh, huh. and I got to meet the very first SR 71 Blackbird pilot that was in my hometown in Denellen, Florida. And um, so I used to sit there and, and. Do you remember his name? No, I don't. It's John something, if I remember right. See, he, he's the guy who's on the speaking circuit now who shows all those epic pictures from the test flights. You know what? I don't know. I'll have to check. Yeah, he's pretty long in the tooth. I, I think I saw this him. Guy, I don't know if he's still around. This I think, well, old, I think I saw him 15 years ago. Because he was also the photographer under Colonel Paul Tibbetts. Oh, yeah. Out the, of the B-17 that, that 
uh, did the photography of the uh, Anola Gay dropping the bomb on Hiroshima. Pretty sure that um, Could we, be. we hired the guy to be a speaker maybe 15 years ago really? at an aviation event. That'd be that cool was if at, I could yeah. ever meet him again. <laughs> if I remember me. But I used to sit there. He had his helmet on the table. You know, it was like a room like this with all this or something went black. And I was just infatuated. What a man. fucking epic airplane, too. Incredible. Yeah. Right. And so he, you know, we'd tell all the stories and, you know, he'd say, you know, my dad, Mark, he'd say, you know, so Mark, what do you think? Uh, you know, this aircraft are talking about it. And my dad goes, uh, what was the first thing you ever thought when you saw that thing? When you open, when they opened the hangar doors and they said, this is what you're going to fly. This is what you've been selected to do. He, he goes, that oh, was kind of a funny story. Um, he said, I hit my buddy. And I said, I told you fucking aliens were real. And he was like, and the engineer's like, none of the guys, this, this is not, it's not a spaceship. spaceship. This is something, this is the American made right. aircraft and it's, it's an aircraft. That's not fucking aircraft. Right. So you look at this thing back then. If you look at it compared to everything else, it was a goddamn spaceship. And nowadays you're like, yeah, whatever, you know, right. F-35, who gives a shit? Right. 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 Um, Jesus could come out of the sky and you'd be like, yeah, it's CGI. Um, so it was an awesome experience to hear that. And, uh, they started getting into some of the conversations about the complexities of the aircraft. And that was the interesting thing. The pilots freaking out now. And they're like, no guys, look, it's just an airplane sit inside of it. Oh yeah. It's a, it's just like my F4 or A4 Skyhawk or something else I got out of, you know? And, uh, yeah, it just goes three times as high and three times as fast. Wait, what? You know? And it's and, super warm. You can bake a cake in your lap. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the cool thing about it, and I, I share with my students, is a lot of people, and I know you probably remember hearing this even back in the Marine Corps, is KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Well, first off, it isn't simple, and you aren't stupid, so don't tell me that. Um, and I've, I have had, had to change that and shift that mentality because that's not design like you if you had a customer come in and say hey i want a knife oh do you want to know how we make them no well i'm going to show you anyways you just created a complexity for that customer and he's probably not going to buy it now right uh, but somebody might say yeah i'd love to see it and they're going to you know nerd out for two hours on the machines and stuff that like me where um you have to understand the, the customer you're talking to the student you're talking to the pilot in that case and they said hey look we're not going to teach you all the complexities of this or something one you're going to you'll lose your mind if you find out how we did this uh, but we want you to fly the plane, right? Fly the plane. Take a deep breath, wind the clock back, fly the plane, especially if something happens. Uh, if it pulls into a foreign air base and mechanics come out and go, what the fuck is that? Don't worry, guys. All your tools still work on it. KISS method. So it was like, well, wait, oh, really? That's awesome. So if you take a look at something like a, the iPhone, right? A revolutionary device. There's nothing simple about this thing except the interface, right? So the pilot can jump right on it. And you, know, you can give this to a kid and 30 seconds or later, they're figuring it out faster than we oh, yeah. can. So that's KISS method in design and development of a product. So when people hear, oh, the science behind shooting, they go, oh, S or something. No, no, no. We take care of all the complexities and we share with you how to simply just fly it faster, easier. And where you get a basic understanding of those, what most people would consider complex principles. Mm -hmm. And next thing you know, they're thinking differently about how they think, which in my opinion, it empowers me so much more over people out there that simply only know what to think. Which is, guess what? Military mindset. You will think this. This is what you will think. Right. We don't want you thinking how, right? Unless you start getting in the special operations community. Well, now you're a how thinker, but you still got a what over the top of you. Yeah. You know, the whole time. And yeah. there's conflict yeah. constantly. So that's that's how we take the, the complexities of this training. Because people are like, no, nah, man, just teach me grip and stance. Like, well, that's that has nothing to do with a gunfight, <laughs> you know? Um, so we'll break into those complexities and share it with them. And then all of a sudden you start seeing light bulbs going off. 
And we say, yeah, it's just like science class, man. We're going to learn about the elements real quick. And then we're going to go out to the lab, which we call the range. Um, and we're going to test them, see what stays together, what comes apart. And we come back and we start building the baseline. We start doing controls. We start getting, hey, what's your performance caps? And then we start measuring it. So you, just arri like you arrive at simplicity, but the process is not simplistic. That's right. And yeah. I don't want people to ever think that a gunfight's simple. Right. And there's dudes out there, man, that are soft guys, cops, and and renowned instructors and friends of mine that go, dude, we need to take the thinking out of shooting. And I'm like, you're a fucking idiot. You're an idiot for saying that because you are trying to simplify something that will be probably the worst and most high-performance situation of anybody's life if they get into it. So why would we simplify that? Why would you say, hey, it's good to have a CCW and that's all you need? You're good. You're an American, Second Amendment. You can defend yourself. That's First off, we know that's not what the Second Amendment's for, um, but we're simplifying it too much. That's like me trying to say, hey, flying an airplane's easy, man. It's not easy, even I, though I it feel eventually like, will simplify itself when you... I feel yeah. like when guys do that, I feel like they're not getting what you're talking about. So they they that that's the way they push it off the table. And a lot of times, guys are actually doing a lot of that stuff. They've arrived there through years of just hard luck or training or just because they've got a natural thing. But they're not teaching that way. It's a canyon concept. They've, they've dug a, and I was this way, man, coming out of the military. Um, Phil Strader, who's a RD at Six Hour now, uh, Grand Master Shooter, ran uh, Strader Inc. down in D.C. for a while when I was working out of D.C. And uh, he says, uh, come down and do this competition shooting, man. I'm like, I'm not doing that shit where you guys run through mazes and shoot paper targets because I'm a warfighter. I don't do that. And he's like, dude, just come out and do it. And I was like, all right, fine, bro. I'll come out, put my war belt on, have my 1911. And I run through a course of fires, 53 people on the competition. I was third from the bottom. And I'm like, whoa, I'm the top shooter in my unit, man, at the time. And uh, I was deflated instantly. I was defeated. And I'm like, why did a 12-year-old kid with a 38 Super open gun smoke my ass? And, and so I was like, instead of me going... I'm going to get out of here. You leaned in. I leaned in and said, yeah. I want to know more because what I thought... I thought I understand. I thought I was the world of shooting. And all you're telling me there's a whole other world that I can explore? Yes. You know, and so that's what we try to share. You know, that's what the videos and stuff help with and the media. So did you get into that? Oh, I yeah, I grandmastered up really quick. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was a silent competitor for a long time. Um, yeah, I run a lot, a lot of state championships. And First time you see guys run, and if you haven't been around that, it's eye-opening if you think you've been, you know, like if you take your dad, you've been plinking and shooting together your whole life. You take him to a, take him to like the, uh, I don't know, it used to be the Wednesday night Rio Salado shoot out there. There was yeah. a three gun shoot out there and, and he, there'd be like Matt Burkett, um, Robbie Latham, Robbie Latham yeah. would be there. And there was some, uh, South African dude. I remember the first time I went up in there and shot, I was looked around and I was like, Oh my God, what the fuck are <laughs> these guys? Yeah. Yeah. I'll just stand off to the side and watch. I mean, there's talented pool on a uh, wednesday night here in phoenix well i think that's what happens with these guys they hit that world and they go uh, -uh i'm not i'm not yeah. e ego and eh, yep. i'm out out the door um but i think if guys can let that ego down and, and explore that world and and i have this thing like the law of everything for me i want to know as much about everything as humanly possible i want to know how to fly a parachute an airplane a helicopter i'm still working on the helicopter thing um, you know, I got a little stick time, but, uh, I want to know as much as I possibly can, not necessarily because I want to be a master machinist or, a, a, an ID guy or a, a technical sewer. I I'm good at all those things of not necessarily doing them. Um, I can, I used to be able to sew my ass off, but now I, I can't, right. Cause if I get in that sew shop, it's like you going back there and trying to sit on the machine all day, you know, what's going to happen, man. Okay. You're going to waste your time. Well, and, I'll flip the company over. I'll piss off 10 people. And in the meantime, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do up in the front. That's right. That's right. Um, 
So I think they hit that wall and they just don't want to go anymore. But no, it, seek as much information as humanly possible because now if I have to go out there and communicate, because, you know, sometimes employees are like, oh, boss just sits in his office and does podcasts all day. Yeah, but you could go out there right now and show them a thing or two, right? So, but you don't have to do that. All you got to do is understand the language, right? I don't know half the machines that my sellers use anymore because yeah. the text's so freaking advanced yeah. beyond yeah. me, yeah. but I can speak the language. I can tell them and right. give them the vision. And that's why I want to know as much about everything as humanly possible. And I, I feel bad for guys that um, are full of themselves. And what I mean by that is like when you eat food, you get full, right? Um, in theory, we're supposed to get full of people out there, you know, what is it? 1.8 billion people are obese in the country or in the world. Um, so that's, that's, you're supposed to get full, but when you take an information or knowledge or experience, you should feel emptier. And the reason why I say that is because the more you start to take in about the world, the more all of a sudden you realize how much you don't know shit about. Right. And to me, that's a liberating feeling, man. Why would you not want that? Every day I want to wake up feeding for something. I want to read a book, go explore something, look into a new art form. Um, like I'm doing tribal medicine now, like down with the Indian reservations, doing sweat lodges and learning how these people hung themselves for, from trees for four days for a rite of passage and like with hooks in their chest and had to rip themselves out. Some dancers. I'm like, what the fuck? I thought I was a warrior, man. And uh, so being on that journey, I'm learning. I'm experiencing. Not to say that I'm going to go hang my ass from a tree for three days to yeah. do a rite of passage, but, um, you know, especially right now, trying to understand what's wrong with the current day warrior. We're not warriors. We think we are. Um just because you went in combat, you think you're a badass, go talk to some of these people that are living right amongst us right now that have seen things that you could never even possibly fathom. And to have that enlightenment <clears throat> makes you think differently how you think. And so uh, that allows me to be liberated for the next day I wake up to go, I want more. I need more. I need more of it. And I always want to have that feeling. And I think the people that say, nope. I'm not doing that. Now, competition's for pussies or uh, airsoft is for kids and it's for idiots. And it's like, you know what, dude, that might be 30% of your market. Stuff to be learned. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff to be learned. And whether you're going to do it or not, why don't you just learn, step, lean into it like you just said and have a little bit better understanding because one day you're going to be confronted and somebody's going to ask you about it and you're going to sound like an asshole or stubborn. And, uh, and I don't want to be that way. So I don't want to be full of myself. I want to be open. I want to be enlightened every single day. Yeah. You know, I walk around and I'm sure you encounter this kind of duality of our existence. We have to, I'm in charge. I really, you know, it's my name on the front of the building. It's my name on the warranty. It's my name when it goes wrong. It's my name when it goes right. If it burns down, nobody else has to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's me up at three o'clock in the morning when the alarm goes off and I end up down here with the cops, you know. Yeah. But um, it's easy for people looking in a cursory fashion to see arrogance or, or, or whatever. And what there is, is there's competence, responsibility, and actually, I mean, I don't think people see it. There's no way to do this without being really humble because it'll crush you if you're arrogant. I see guys with companies who are arrogant and they get crushed over time. I got these, a lot of young kids coming in, trainers still go, hey, Haley, how do you, how are you still doing this after, um, I guess 27 years now, uh, you know, 17, 18, 18 years now of training and teaching in the industry. Uh, I, I say that don't always stay humble, man. It'll eat you alive. Yeah. You know, you get in the limelight a little bit, you get on camera, you're on a TV show and next thing you know, you lose your damn mind. Don't, yeah. don't ever do that, man. Yeah, I, you you start there. thinking you're somebody. Yeah. And, and it doesn't work. Trust <laughs> right, me right, from right. experience. So, um, yeah, that, that is something I always try for every day and, you know, and try to help pass that down through, you know, it's like, how do you get people to level up like that? We were talking about earlier, like management. How does my management team inspire and empower their people to go, hey, look, we're growing every single day. 
And so you have to have a growth mindset with us and maybe here are some new incentives that are going to happen if you can grow. And if you can't grow, we don't have room for people without a growth mindset here. Um, so you got to stay adaptive, keep growing. And then how do you keyword, I think, take on ownership of something, right? You know how it is. Nobody's ever going to treat your money like it's yours, like the old saying, it's yours, you know? Uh, but if you can give them some individual ownership and and make them, you know, it's like, like the braving concept. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but braving is an acronym that we use at the company. You'll see it. You'll see it on all the sewers, machines. You'll see it on all the, the, the tooling and stuff. Um, cause we'll bring everybody in as we grow, we hire a new group of people. All right, everybody in, let's, let's bring it all together. You know, so we'll have the entire company there and we'll have some theme that we're going to talk about. Okay. Like for example, um, this, this braving concept is like, okay, it was somebody stealing tools and we didn't know who it was. And so I said, okay, here's an opportunity. How do we, how do we get back the anatomy of trust? Because once anatomy of trust is broken in a workplace, you know it's hard, man. It's yeah. very challenging. Yeah. And uh, everybody's kind of eyeballing each other and sizing each other up every day. I was like, come on, man. We're a tribe. We're family. So we sit down and break that to them and say, hey, here's a way that we're going to fix this. Everybody's getting brand new tools. Wait, what? Well, you're going to buy us all new tools? Absolutely. You know, you give us a wish list of what you want. And, um, and then so now there should not be a problem, right? Wrong. Now I'm enabling you, right? To and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna that doesn't fix the trust issue. So the trust issue is, well, B is for boundaries. Well, who, who stepped over boundaries here, right? So if you if you don't have boundaries in any relationship, um, you're gonna have somebody problems. gets victimized, right? You're gonna see that, right? Yeah. Um, the the R is for reliability, which means doing something more than just once, right? And being relied upon. And then the A is for accountability. So how do we have individual ownership and accountability on something? Uh, the V is interesting. The V is for vault. Um, everybody has a vault door. You know, like if I open up and say, hey, Greg, man, I, I need to tell you something and I, I need your help. You know, hey, buddy, hey, whatever. Uh, I had a bad night's sleep, hey, PTSD, whatever it could be from work stuff to life stuff and everything in between. If I share that with you, the problem with humans is that we also have a back door and you'll open that shit up. And then you'll say, hey, did you hear what Travis was dealing with? Next thing you know, you broke the vault, man. You can't do that. Um, so especially with R&D stuff, Blackside, hey, we got you know a lot of projects that we work on that you can't talk about. So there's a, a vault aspect, not just personally, but professionally as well. The I is for integrity. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean doing the right thing when nobody's looking. It's obvious, man. If I have to worry about something or somebody in the workplace that might not be doing the right thing when we're not looking, well, we have a problem right automatically. So I don't like to talk about that definition of it, just like we used to do with the military every single day. I like to also think of it as, you know what? Don't take fast, fun, or easy. If you take fast, fun, or easy, you're going to have an integrity breakdown. And also the integrity of yourself. If you look at a table or one of your blades, for example, the integrity is beautiful. It's perfect. If, you, if people get listening to this, because I just I love the, the walking through and seeing guys taking apart a knife 10 times in order to get the freaking thing, you know, perfectly aligned and and beautifully you know just that sound that chris feel like that's how do you get there um you know it's that they're taking in the the integrity of the blade itself which means whole complete or perfect so as a human being are we ever whole complete or perfect no but we strive to be we want to be right we want to be the best version of ourselves, and you can always beat your best and so you know that is where are you doing that every day? Are you doing more than what's required of you, like General Patton said? You know, I don't want to, I don't want a status quo employee. When they get their fitness reports and their performance evaluations, if you're in that first category, man, you're a status quo guy. You better pick the shit up. You're a good employee. You're a model employee. You're perfect. But you're 
you're not doing more than what's required of you. Um, so we try to instill and build that culture up. That way people continually have to look up and take that ownership. So you're building aspirational That's right. behavior. Yeah. yeah, I believe it works. And, and it's a big part of the culture. Um, and it's for non-judgment. You know, so we can sit down and between two employees fighting over something, who's judging who here? Wait a minute. Tell me the whole word again. Braving. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity, non-judgment, and then generosity, which is a big one. That's hard for me. And I think we share that same kind of, like you said, something like try not to bruise our children, you know, because, <laughs> you know, my kid's late. Where is he? What's he doing? You know, or. How old are you kids? I got a uh, 24, about to be 17 next week. Oh, man. In two days. Thanks for asking. Um, and then I've got uh, 14, about to be 15. So all 15, boys? 17, 24. Three all, boys? All boys. Yep. So, and I'm going through it. I, I uh, my boy, he's not good with left and right. I mean, he's 13. He's not good with left and right. He's not good. I think he's got a little. He's Spatially? Got, he's got a little dyslexia thing floating around, and they wanted to put him in that box when he was six getting ready to go into school and i was like nope he'll do regular school thanks very much we'll good. figure this out that's good so he hasn't he doesn't he gets no cover like he doesn't you know no he hasn't had a mom or someone around saying hey you've got add it's okay um or you've you've got dyslexia it's okay yeah. or you're screwed up it's okay and because i'm like the life doesn't really care after you're out on your own it doesn't the world doesn't care if you see stuff backwards you got to figure out a way to get to the world you do but I I bite a little too hard. I'm a little too mean sometimes, man. And I'll tell you, I've been struggling with it because I'm trying to, you know, like I want a lion to go out in the world. I don't want a sheep to That's go right. out in the world. And tell him, it's, tell him it's a power up. Push my I've pushed my wife away being being hard. I've pushed my, you know, my boy and I are really close. But I, I, it's it's easy to push people away being hard. Sure. Because I've been trying to find my trying to find my soft a little bit more. Sure. Well, um, did you struggle with that at all with your boys? I, oh man, I do. I do. I, you know, my 24 year old had a, um, a rough life with him, with his mom. Um, and, uh, that was a first recon, you know, kind of quick, Hey, let's go to Vegas and get married at BAH. And next thing you know, like, wait, we're pregnant. What? And, uh, of course it has Travis juniors, you know, my oldest boy, uh, amazing, talented kid working on being a pro fisherman right now. And, uh, he, it was tough because I was deployed most of the time. I came home when he was eight, walked in, said, hey, buddy. And mom's in the kitchen. She's like, hey, you're back already, right? And he looks at me, looks at mom, looks back at me, looks at mom and goes, mom, who's that? And I was like, fuck. And I, I, I collapsed, man. I, it crushed me because uh, I just was nonstop, go, 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 be the lion, be protector, you know, be the king, get yeah. out there, do yeah, it, man, yeah. help society. Yeah. yeah, you got to sacrifice your family in order for a greater freedom. It's like. Okay. Yeah. Well, we thought that. And so now I'm sitting there going, man, I've lost so many years with him and, uh, and, you know, through struggle and custody issues and, you know, and, and getting into the bad, bad scene. And, and, and then now as I guess last year was the first year we reconnected. And so I've got my son back finally. Wow. It took a lot of time, a lot of pain. Wow. Um, and that's all he needed was for me to, you know, I, I sat there in my, in, in Bertone, my girlfriend, she's like, what are you doing? get on a complaint and go see him. And I'm like, nope, not doing it. He fucked up. You were being stubborn. Yeah, so I it's called a perpetration withhold in the mind <laughs> architecture world, uh, which I'm really big into right now. And, um, you know, I perpetrated by saying, son, you did something wrong. And you know what? You're going to pay for it. And then I withhold that and I don't tell him anything else. I don't console him. I don't go to him and say, hey, how you doing? 
and uh, I got to play the, the the big bad dad. So you were lacking grace. Lacking a, a ma- yeah, extraordinary amount of grace. I did not have that, and I so I one day, um, she goes, get on a plane and go see him right now. Good for her. Or I'm or I'm out. And I'm like, you seriously think that's going to work? you're keeping her, right? You think he's just going to open the door and give me a hug and it's all going to be good? And she yeah. goes, I think you'd be surprised. Yeah. And man, I did it. And I walked up to his door, opened the door, and did he lunged at me like he was a little kid. And uh, it was, that was a good feeling. And, and I knew instantly, you're an asshole. <laughs> Why did you withhold this when this is the greatest feeling in the world to have your son back? And uh, that's all I needed, you know? So my grace was not there and now it's there. Now I know that now my other two boys growing up, I'm very careful with that. And I, yeah. I think that forced patience into me. It forced the ability to have grace. It forced me to, to get in the arena. And I think a lot of us make rackets in our life. We will make excuses. Well, he'll come around one day, time will tell. Well, first off, that's the biggest lie and illusion right. in the world is right. that we have time. And, you know, sometimes it takes us a long time to figure that out. And, uh, and I, I feel like I wasted a lot of those years and I don't have many regrets in life except losing that time with him. And, uh, you know, my, my middle son, Hayden, he was diagnosed with autism when he was six by three psychologists, two psychologists. The third psychologist we met here, so why we moved from Colorado down here was because we were told that maybe there's a 3% chance he can live a normal life. And I'm like, Okay, this is my boy, man. I know there's something wrong. So, you know, kind of like you're identifying there's something not perfect as we would consider perfect something as a slightly fucked up different. society. Yeah, something different. But it's different. And he's incredibly intelligent. But uh, I started networking, going to medical conferences, and um, and that's why I started finding neurofeedback and brain mapping. And so I started doing scans on him. And I was like, holy shit, he was misdiagnosed. He is extremely attention deficit and dyslexic. He is not autistic whatsoever this is the kid that had straight f's hated sports sat on the field argue with people like that's not my son man i'm an athlete and um didn't listen to anybody and so teachers like he's autistic i'm like don't call my son autistic you're a teacher not a psychologist the next thing you know i'm finding out he is well when i found out he's not we started going into the brain map and neurofeedback and, and next thing you know do you have that at your facility? Do you have like we do simple stuff? We do neuromuscular timing type exercises, which really. But you helps. brought him your connections. Yeah, you knew who to where, get him to. Yeah, the science of shooting. Yeah, people think it's a brand. No, it's a life experience of failure. It's a life experience of my children. It's my life experience having traumatic brain injuries, and I'm a dyslexic. I'm attention deficit, and I look up to um, people that can identify those as superpowers. And I think that's what maybe you can pass on to him. And uh, there's an acquaintance of mine, Kirwin Ray. He's an incredible mind architecture expert down in Australia. And he's got a great Instagram and podcast. Um, I I'd, I'd suggest listening to him because he's really taught me a lot about this. And so, what's, hey, his, what's his name? Kirwin Ray. K-E-R-I-N and then R-E-A. K-E-R-I-N. Kieran? Kieran, yeah. Okay. Kirwin. Oh, K-E-R-W-I-N? Yes. Cool. And uh, he is the same kind of victim of that, being told, hey, you're never going to amount to anything. You're not, I, mean, I, grew up in a, I grew up in a trailer in the swamps of North Florida, man. Uh, I was not a good student. I was not a good kid. I was in jail for attempted murder when I was 16. I was breaking in the house with constantly. It's probably the first time I've ever said that out loud. But um, I'm, I'm not afraid to say that because of the failure that I created, which is 
if I look back at our lives, I think we could all agree, no matter the pathway you have, I think a lot of us will come to the same conclusion that we failed over and over and over in our life. And that's why we succeed. Because we're able to be vulnerable, we're able to sit back and look at it, it gave me empathy, it gave me sympathy as a law enforcement officer, uh, when I got out of the military. Uh, it allowed me to eventually see kill him as nicely as you can, son. You don't have to kill him so damn hard. Like, remember Heartbreak Ridge with Clint Eastwood? He's like, hey, if you're going to pop that puppy's can, you got to grease him so hard, jarhead. <laughs> so, well, we grease people hard, man. You know, yeah. as hard as we possibly can, I think that lives with us. And it, it, and it doesn't do justice for our employees. It doesn't do justice for our spouses, our exes, uh, or our kids. This thing is, uh, this has kind of hammered me, having a company. It is, it can't grow and succeed if you rut into those behavioral patterns that are destructive. So I had to grow up a lot really fast, but it doesn't always translate home. Yeah, I found myself being more compassionate, more understanding with my team, because I know how much it impacts my selfishness, how much it impacts me. I lose that team member, I gotta go find him, I gotta pay to retrain him, I gotta this and that, it's about me. Mm. So I'd found all this compassion because of how much it injures me when someone leaves. And I'm sitting here, it hurts. and I, and I'm not I'm not having that same level of compassion with my own kids. Yeah, and I you know I wasn't equating it because there's no self component to it. It's just me being annoyed. Hmm. And I, I wrote this letter to my son this morning, just because I barked at him a little bit too hard yesterday, and uh, I I wrote this letter, and if I read the letter, I start bawling, just thinking about how to patch. Uh, a glitch in me. I'm trying to like really hammer it with me so that I can break that little chain of my behavior. Uh, interesting. And then you bring up your son. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think what I realized in that is out of that experience for him, um, within three weeks, we remapped his brain, removed his prefrontal cortex. For your, for your second son. For my second son. And uh, now he lives an incredible life. He's an incredible, talented athlete. And Went to Emory Riddle Flight School when he was 14. Uh, went to Oxford for two weeks because he wanted to go to an entrepreneurial camp by himself. I'm like, why don't you go to a normal camp like every other kid? Um, you know, he's been accepted in some of the top schools. And I finally pulled him out of some of those top schools and put him in public school because I'm like, you will learn the way, you know. Um, and so he's doing great now where we were medicating him. We changed his entire life and we were, we were fucking him up. And to the point where uh, it scared me to death until I was, you know, so f grateful and fortunate to find this this guy here locally who's a neurofeedback specialist uh, who changed his life. And then all of a sudden I started diving into it. And I was like, you know, he would leave the room. I'd say, Hayden, give me those headsets. I want to try hey, this. Can you give me that guy? Can you give me his info well, yeah. when we, when yeah, we hop it. off yeah, the was, recording? Because yeah. I'd love to maybe uh, talk to him, see if it's um, worth getting my boy with him. You know, we're not encountering, I'm not encountering a big problem with him. It's just... Uh, everybody needs it is what I found out. Everybody needs neurofeedback because everything we do, everything we eat, every, I mean, look at our world today, man. There's so many chemicals and toxins that we're taking in. I mean, especially in the manufacturing world, um, the shooting world, lead toxicities, I mean, shitters and freaking Iraq and you name it, wherever around the world. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. A lot of traumatic brain injuries. I mean, you're a martial artist, dude. How many times have you hit your head, had concussions? Too many times. We have, we have lesions on our brain that don't get any better. So dementia doesn't start when you're 60, 70, 80 years old. It starts when you start getting your head knocked in and yeah. you, you start having these micro tears. Every time you fire a gun, you get micro lesions on your brain. A lot of them heal themselves, but over time, if you do it a lot, you're going to hurt yourself. So I got to be very careful in, in all those things because as soon as I got caught trying to do the neurofeedback, he he comes in. He's like, "Dude, what are you doing, man?" 
I was like, sorry, I just want to really know how this works. And he's like, I was wondering when you were going to ask. I was like, what does that mean, man? You know? So he scans my brain, same thing, where my son was firing on his left prefrontal cortex and we had to just kind of reshape and move things. I was firing on the right. And I've got a, um, you know, a couple other issues going on from the traumatic brain injuries. And uh, uh, literally, I, after a few weeks of doing the neurofeedback, I could see better. I could think faster. I could sleep for the first time in eight years, man, after a really bad shooting that is I got he, into. Do you, do you, does he get into that bilateral stimulation and stuff between the two sides he, of the brain? He, There is a lot of that that you can do, but he's more focused into the, um, for one example, for how old was your boy? He's uh, 13. 13. So he'll play Xbox. Yeah. And I'm like, why is he playing Xbox, Doc? He's like, look, it's a neurocontrollers that we use. So um, like the first time I saw him trying to play it, it wasn't working. And he's like, Doc, this controller doesn't work. He's like, no, it works, son. He goes, you have to play with your mind. And I was like, what the fuck? And all of a sudden I saw him lean into the screen. And so they reprogrammed the controls so his brain had to shift. So they take the brain map information, they reprogram into this device, a satellite <laughs> neurosystem that will then control the controller based on what his brain is telling it to do. Fucking and if his crazy. brain is not telling that controller to do the right thing, the controller goes, nope, not going to work then. And when his brain shifts and starts using the proper part of that frontal cortex, it then all of a sudden jumps and he drops the controller. And it freaked him out. For a second. Because it started working. Because he was doing it with his mind. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, man. So then I, I started even doing that. Um, and there's a lot of digital systems that you can use. And then there's just the mapping aspect. Um, Super it's cool. It's really focusing, just forcing your brain waves to go in a certain way. And uh, then there's neuromuscular timing stuff, which is really good for everybody. So I use these. Uh, it's called Pro Metronome. You can actually order them. And to have the big systems like we have, we have to be medically licensed at the shop for, for our students to go through it. And also you guys that are completely sympathetic, very impulsive, um, like I have been most of my life. And uh, you get into a shooting, you put them in their physiological stress, which we have threat fire systems that if you get shot in the simulator, it hits you with 25,000 volts. So you'll you'll know really quick what that person's going to do. And we've had SWAT dudes fly through the screens. We, it's been rough, um, and but it's been incredible data that we've been able to record because... When somebody's really sympathetic, let's say you got in a fight with your wife, kid, or something like that, or a supervisor at work, you had a bad morning, uh, you missed your coffee, your dog died, whatever it is, man, and you go to work and then you pull somebody over. You're like, I'm Deputy Haley, Maricopa County Sheriff's Officer. Give me your license, please. Like, why did you even say please? You're an asshole, right? Don't be a dick. So now your sympathetic nature has just created a, a, a contact with another human being. What do you think is going to happen? That can go bad. An equal or opposite reaction, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's why I always say, kill them as nice as you can. You know, you got to be sincere about it. If you're not having a bad day, you, you got to do some deep work right then and there before you go and with engage yourself. with other yeah. people in society. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's times that I won't go to the office because I'm just not having a good day. And I don't want to put that on my team. Yeah. I don't want them to see me. Not, yeah. not beyond an ego because I don't want to mess their day No, I have the same thing. I, where it used know, to be out of ego. And most, I most of the time I can shut it down and, and, uh, but that has a, pay, a price also. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I try to I try to find a rhythm where I, I kind of arrive in a good place, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll take them, put them on that machine for five minutes, and it'll turn on their parasympathetic nervous system, and then you put them back in a simulator. Dude, it's a completely different human being. And so I noticed that anytime I get a little amped up, I'll go in there and just kind of do some. And it's like a metronome system. So you, it times you to the thousandth of a second, and when your brain starts doing it, you're like, why am I so stupid? Why can't I do this? And then when you start getting it down, you'll feel that that flow state kick in, and then that's when I go back to work. Do you find meditating? Do you find that that kind of training uh, is it something where the brain, like a muscle, feels it knows how to go to that place, or is it 
um, that you don't know that it's happening when you get to a stress level. It starts. How often does someone need to be doing that for it to become part of their, that their is, structure? That, that's a good question. Um, I think it's just like, could you go to a chiropractor every single day? Yes, you could. If you if they knew what they were doing and they weren't just doing controlled trauma, right? We have very special sports performance docs that work on us and they'll know exactly what they're doing every day. And they're like, yes, you, like for me, I got to unwind 46 years of damage, right? Um, and it's not like I go to a chiropractor once a month. Like that's your structure is not going to stay the same. So like it's a full-time job in anything that you do. And I, that's why I suggest people get like these home kits or do download pro metronome on your phone. Um, and the, it's just a standard metronome that musicians would use to stay in time, but you can just close your eyes and sit there and tap your chest and you'll start to feel a connection. If you can feel it, if you can be patient and sit there and try to go into a meditative state, like on airplanes, man, I'll get pissed off with people. You know, I had a guy next to me one time going, God damn, 10-minute delay, this is bullshit. This is, I'm like, dude, it's only 10 minutes, relax, bro. Next thing you know, 15 minutes later, another delay. God damn it, I shouldn't take this flight. This is bullshit, I'm going to be late. And we're flying from Phoenix to, I think that was the D.C. And this guy kept going off. I was like, look, dude, you know, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but it's just a 15 to 20-minute delay. Yeah, this is bullshit. I'm like, dude, you realize if we'd have done this trip 100 years ago, it would have taken us 30 years and half our family would be dead and we'd be completely different people? Like, calm the fuck down. Like, that's what the problem with the world today is we're so impulsive and everybody has to be in this hyperdynamic mode and we yeah. don't know how to be patient anymore. Right. And so I think that these tools that, that you can use, yeah, you got to stay on top of it. You can't just meditate once a, once a month, right? And for me, when people say, well, you, you can sit on a cloud and cross your legs and hold your nose and fart and clear out your mind. I'm like, no, I, I don't know how to do that, man. I meditate with high performance canopy flying, right? Like you in an airplane, you in the sky, it might be your meditation. Oh, definitely. And and that's because we're in a flow state. We're in the zone. Nobody can touch us. Nobody can, can call me. To, I mean, they could, but I shut it all down. I want to be one with the sky, man, with the sky gods. And um, same if I'm underwater, you just kind of go into that deprivation type of training. Um, you can't just do that every once in a while. If that's your thing, then that's your thing. If you're reading a book or researching or going on a hike or actual meditation in a, on a cloud on top of a hill is your thing, I think it's important for people to have a consistent routine with that, which I never did in my life, man. I'm all over the damn place. And I'm finally starting to do that, and I'm starting to see things fall into place, like better communication with my kids, um, not hesitating anymore, getting on a plane and going and seeing them. Um, you know, not not letting uh, work, 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 and my kids sitting there like I used to do. I'm like, nah, work can wait because it's going to be there tomorrow, yeah. but my kid might not. Yeah. And so trying to reframe constantly uh, is what I think those things help with, whether you're doing a metronome or meditating or flying a plane or going for a hike or trail run, which I try to do at nighttime. No lights, no nothing. I just go out, and hopefully I don't run into cactus. What's your daily routine like? Do you have a daily routine? <laughs> yeah, it's trying to get rid of this injury. Um, I, I wish it was perfect. Nobody's ever perfect. Right. Uh, I try to wake up. I'm not a morning person. I'm a night owl, man. I'll sit up till three in the morning doing work. And then, you know, I wake up to Jocko saying, if you don't get up at 4am, you're a piece of shit. Like, I know. I, I hear was, that you too. And I'm I was like, going to bed, dude, when you were work, waking up, you know, I know I love Jocko, but you know what I mean? Like everybody's got a different, yeah. different yeah. mentality and a different working ethic and time of day, I think. So I, I see on Instagram, just total bullshit though. They talk it's about bullshit, just, bullshit about all these life patterns. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Be authentic, dude. That's that's the greatest thing you can yeah. tell somebody is, dude, any of those guys that I know, I'll tell them, dude, are you really truly being honest? You wake up every single day at 4.30 in the morning and work out? 
No, you do not. Don't bullshit me. And I hate getting up early in the morning. I always have, even when I, especially yeah. when I did the Marine Corps, it was the worst because I was usually still hungover. Now, now, their their mentality and their story might be inspiring and motivating sure. me to find some routine in my life, which is what they're probably their overlining, you know, messages. Yeah. Um, so I don't hate them for it, but yeah, I'll, I'll get up when I when I get moving, which is about eight o'clock, and I uh, wish I could sleep in more. And then uh, I'll try to to do a morning coffee therapy i try not to eat until around noon um i will uh take my supplements i'll do some biomodulation therapy which, What's that? which is voltage therapy so um, if anybody's interested it's dr um um oh my gosh one blank the tenant dr jerry tenant in the tenant institute out of texas um amazing amazing story this guy had encephalitis he's the guy that invented the i i uh, lasik eye surgery and prk laser systems and then while he was doing testing he got encephalitis from a patient then he gets cancer pancreatic cancer i believe if i remember the story and as all his buddies are like dude you're gonna die bro yeah like, he got kind of the worst, ones, the worst yeah. shit in the world he was asleep for like 16 hours a day for seven years and then finally he's like you know what i'm gonna starve myself to death and so he figures out this biomodulation voltage therapy um, you have tables that we have that you lay on and like, if you took a metal chain and held the table to arc and they're like, wait, you want me to lay on that? Like, that's what your body needs. So I have handheld devices like size of a phone. And so, um, in a nutshell, he found out that, you know, your cellular structure, like a cell takes about 25 millivolts, I think to operate. Don't quote me on these numbers. I'm not a doc. And, but it takes up to like 50 to regenerate or heal. So this device will actually, let's say I've got like, I've had some trigger control issues lately. My elasticity is getting bad because it's wearing down my hand. So I'll charge my meridians and what it'll do is measure what I've got going on. It'll tell me like, yeah, you're low in this area. And then it will put the appropriate voltage back into that area to repair those cells in that, in that area. And next thing you know, uh, your body's getting what it needs because, you know, especially if you drink alkaline water and you do it properly, um, that's all voltage. And so flying, keeping my face in the wind, a shower, jumping into cold water, cold tank, hot tank, deprivation type training is all things that stimulate voltage in your body. Uh, things that we don't do as human beings anymore. We don't walk barefooted on the ground and connect ourselves to the ground. And I'm not talking hippie shit. I'm talking warrior tribal stuff that I've been learning lately from these great, incredible warriors that will say, what's wrong with you people today? You're not connected to the earth. You're not connected to fire, air, water. Um, they put me in a sweat lodge for an hour and a half. You ever you ever done one of those? Yeah, I used to do a Lakota sweat with a bunch of sun dancers. So, so you know it. I you know, I mean, I I've do. never experienced that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to fucking die. It's like <laughs> 250 degrees inside this yeah, thing. Yeah. It was an amazing experience. And then they start, and I'm going, okay, this was great. I want to do it again. So we're we're continually building some of the rehab and development programs for, for some of the organizations that help vets. Um, cause they need to feel this. They need to have that, that, you know, bunch of naked dudes get in a tent and nothing gay about it, man. And you get in there and you sweat like warriors and why? Because we're trying to, um, get rid of the corruption of chaos and war in our life, you know? And so if you came back from combat as a warrior, whether it was an African tribal warrior, native Americans, Romans did this with the Vestal Virgins, the Spartans, you name all the great people, the samurai with the seven, five and three code. If you look at that, it says nothing about guns, says nothing about gear, says nothing about any of that shit. It's all about compassion, vulnerability, taking care of yourself, healthy, you know, health and wellness, uh, family, right? So we don't want you coming home from combat, which I've done before, stepped off of a plane and 48 hours later after pulling a trigger on human beings, I'm sitting there going, hey, kids, how you doing? Right. And I'm shaking still, right. you know? It's uh, disruptive to our uh, system, you know, the killing and the explosions and uh, things you see. 
Yeah. It's dis- it's shattering to anybody our that likes system. that shit is has a Mother. problem. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, we, we not to say we didn't enjoy it while we were doing it, but once you sit back and self reflect on it, you're like, dude, that's that's some horrible shit that we do to each other as humans. Yeah. And but, and, I'll, and, I'll, but I'll, it damages us. Like the damage, the reaction's an equal and opposite reaction. The killing damages the people with it, doing the killing. Yeah. Yeah. Like your uncle was saying. Yeah. You know, don't do some shit you're going to regret, man. You my, know? Da- you know, my dad's a psychologist, so uh, he d- works a lot with combat vets and PTSD and a lot with, you know, trauma, the trauma that happens in reverse from, from, from combat. And uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> Sticks with you. It's yeah. hard to get rid of. You'll yeah, never yeah. get rid of it. And I think that's why they did a great job of all these great warriors in our past history, whether you love them or hate them or not. They did not want you to go home with that chaos and corruption, right? They would say, "Hey, we want the we want the hot rocks to to soak in all the corruption and chaos before we can say that before the medicine man or tribal chief can say you are now clear to go home to your family." You know, it's funny, and they would use terms like you know, um, com- talking with the grandfathers and casting out these spirits and making sure that we commune with the grandfathers and uh, the elders and all of that, and it, and. and it was different words, but it's the same thing we're trying to do with people when we decompress them from combat and mm-hmm. debrief them and then have that time between walking in the front door and playing dad and husband. I think it's pretty hard to do when 72 hours ago you were in Afghanistan. And it's ha- it happens every day, right? Yeah. I think that's where the, you know, the Marines, we still get that opportunity. You know, sailors may, um, some combatant units may, but, um, you know, we may still get to sit on a boat like the Marine Expeditionary Units. Um, those guys, well, except for this shit that just happened in Kabul where they, where the Marine Expedition yeah. blew up, we lost some friends and, and family members there. And, um, what did they do? They put them all on a plane, sent them right home because they felt bad for them. Put their asses back on the boat with their brothers and let them talk it out for the next 30 days. Shake it they out go. for a month. Shake, yeah. shake it out, man. That's what, that's what my grandfather did in Normandy and, and, uh, and I would hear those stories growing up, you know, make sure you off gas yourself. Yeah. Whatever pop, you know, and next thing you know, I'm like. Oh my God, I should have listened to Pop. You know? yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was a mistake. That's bad leadership. And our leaders out there need to know that. You know, They need to understand not only the warfare aspects, but the, the off-gassing aspects that are so much more important than the warfare itself. And they don't teach you that. I find everybody in the leadership and ruling class in this country to be the dumbest bunch of motherfuckers ever walked the planet. I'm disgusted at every turn. There's no accountability. All we want to do is make rules to... S- to check people that we are not holding accountable. There's no one holding anybody accountable anymore. Yeah. Everyone wants to, we want to make rules. We want to do term limits. I was just talking about it with my mom today. And, and, and I'm kind of against term limits. All term limits are is a way to get rid of bad people and good people because we're afraid to hold them accountable. I think it's more important to have experienced uh, group of statesmen it's more important to have experienced people in leadership and a new group of people coming in to replace those who are leaving uh so that we're don't always have a bunch of amateurs yeah because the yeah. running of the world is complex and sophisticated and that's what, like you said earlier that's what potentially might happen these younger guys you know young congressmen and senators and people that are coming in that are fresh but have no team building experience they have no they couldn't even comprehend some of the things that we're talking about here from yeah. our just business experiences Number one is don't forget the basic principle of business of make sure you get rid of the wrong people, yeah. right? It's attraction assessment. Make sure you got the right people on the train and make sure you got the right people in the right seats on the train. And if you don't, get rid of them. And that's a hard thing. And I, and I'm, I can see that in you were like, dude, that's hard for me to fire somebody. Like if I have to sit, even if they're pieces of shit, sitting down with them like, look, you're a thief, you're this, you're that. It still hurts me to say, you got to go. 
It does. All right. Well, you, you'll unless graduate. You, unless you got some advice. <laughs> I'll get some for you off air. <laughs> no, I mean, I the first few times I did it, I mean, it. I felt, I just felt like I was, it was, I, I was like, oh my God. By the time I had done it a few times, I started to see the merit. And then what happened is I just kind of transformed and I was like, this is better for you and for me. Our time has to end. Yeah, it does get there easier. is another place that's going to like you in the bathroom three times a day for 40 minutes. There is a place where this is going to work for you. You're going to get paid to crap somewhere and everyone's going to be fine oh, with it. Well, it just won't be here. Send you some links. <laughs> Um, you know, I, so I, you know, as we leave, let's talk a little bit about the public. Are you, have you gotten involved in any politics at all? Are you, uh, I know when you get to a certain level of success, we start cutting checks to people that want our support. Uh, I don't know if you're at that point yet or where you're in, in, where you're plugged in. I know you financially are. I don't know if you're, if you're engaged in that manner, you may be so hyperkinetically into your, your field that I got that some of that political stuff really tugging oh, yeah. at me yeah um, it's always talk to me a little bit about that it's always talked to me and uh, i think again me sticking to my principles i stay political i don't get involved in a whole lot of stuff now do i go to the events and was that a turning point recently absolutely i want to see what what's happening in mm -hmm. our country i want to have i want to have my feet on the, Were ground. You the one last a couple weeks ago or yeah. the one four yeah. months ago yeah i went I, I even spoke a little bit to some of the college kids there on some of the the, the side stages and um, just wanted to get the feel and, you know, hung out and talked with, you know, hey, Mark, what, what are you doing here? Sheriff Lamb. And, and uh, I know you guys are friends with him and yeah. um, amazing human being. And there's some yeah, amazing, I really like him. He's awesome. Right. And and we need more people in those types of leadership positions speaking out. And he hosted some amazing talks on stage about that um, and what we need to do with leadership. Um, is leadership going to listen to that? No. And that's what scares me right now. But you know, back to the question, uh, I've had my ass in the grass with politics. Um, I used to go to the Hill quite a bit. I worked and lived in D.C. for a while. Uh, I, you know, I never really talked about it much because I've always kind of the warfighter. I want to be silent. I want to I want to observe and uh, and be able to do a proper orientation of, of my brain and understand, you know, the OODA loop aspect of not just flying a plane, but hey, we're sitting amongst criminals right now. Um, and I'll tell you, if you've ever been to the Senate or the House and you walk down the halls, mm -hmm. if you don't feel creepy, if you don't feel dirty, if you don't feel like there's something bad wrong, even this is 10, 15 years ago, I was started this process yeah. working with lobbyists and stuff up there and uh, trying to fight the good fight, especially for the Second Amendment and, you know, not banning, banning stuff. And, um, and that's where I got the first taste. And I started realizing that, yeah, you're right, dude they're the dumbest motherfuckers on the face of the planet. Yeah. You know, and when you walk into a public servant and they say, what's your ask? What do you need? And I'm like, my, my ask, my ask, Senator McCain, you, you want me to tell you what my ask is? First off, you're a public servant. Okay. Let's establish that right now. And I know you don't like the way I'm talking to you. And I know my lobbyist is shit in his pants right now. I'm probably not going to have a job in 24 hours, but let me explain something to you. You have to, all those people you have to yeah. talk to, they're all fucking corrupt. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, and I shouldn't say that, you know, there are, you know what I mean? The overall community, and I feel for these younger guys getting in there that are that I know that are saying, "Hey, we're going to override this. We're going to fix this." Dude, you're still learning how to talk. No disrespect, but once you get into that circle of sharks, watch what happens. Well, it'll be, and I don't know what the fix is. I'm not. I'm not. You know, listen. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Dan Crenshaw. He's one of my favorites out there, but it'll be interesting to kind of see what happens to him as he gets more. Yeah, seasoned into that. It's a, it's a. And if they're good public servants, are listening to us right now. I yeah. hope they are. Not, not just our podcast, but people the in general. People. Is what I'm saying. You and, know, and, I was. And they need to realize they need to stop flipping signs. I was talking to my mom about this, and uh, and, and you know the problem is, 
it's uh, the prosecutors in this country are there there's only one direction they prosecute and it's down it's to us they they never prosecute hmm. up and we've got this napoleonic top down review of the people going on and i'm like there's nothing any of us people are doing that fucking matters you me all of us we drop dead they will put the coffin in the ground, step over the hole, and move right on with their day. We're doing exactly what they want us to do. People just don't don't see that. Yeah, they resist that. But I see what's going on above us. Uh, I think the number one thing is accountability. There's zero accountability. They lose billions and billions of dollars. Nobody's accountable. When's the last time you ever heard of someone getting away with billions and they, they've stolen three trillion dollars in the last yeah, I'm year i'm still scared to i'm still scared to chew bubblegum and walk down the sidewalk <laughs> I'm just, you know what i mean like that we grew up like that so you're like yeah you get thrashed on the sidewalk for chewing bubblegum in uniform or you know smoking a cigarette and walking it's like you know wait where's the accountability of, of men's lives and billions and trillions of dollars like you're saying well i think about the you know basically the hardware that we just walked away from the people that we walked out on the allies we walked out on and our honor as people you can stand by their word that we walked out on and there's no accountability and when i talk to half our countrymen fully half of them goes yeah but we got out of the war and i go man there's more important things and getting out of the war at all costs now we just started another one we just don't know it yet yeah you know i've been talking about this and i've had these politicians in one of the things i've been saying is let's listen anybody who supports the left just ask them if they have any 12 to 16 year old boys in their family because that's who's going to die in the next war for them mm -hmm. and oh my son would never no you don't know what your grandson your son your nephew your cousin your next door neighbor's kid will do once they have their own driver's license and on the way home from high school how many of them swing through a recruiter's office? A lot. Because something bugs them on the news that they just heard. Mm -hmm. And they come home and parents flip out. How many times did we hear that in the Marine Corps? Yeah. Guys joined up and their parents flipped out. Yeah, sorry. You don't have any control over seventeen. Well, over an 18-year-old once they go sign on a dotted line. And I say, you know, as we project weakness, our enemies rise. Yeah. I'm spooked right now about Taiwan and Ukraine simultaneously. Mm -hmm. and uh, And then, honestly, North Korea and Iran. They're basically, we've got such big problems on the horizon, they're getting left to their own devices, and that's no good at all. Right. Yeah, that's a big issue. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know what the fix is, except for, you know, I, I was reciting some numbers the other day on a, a podcast, and I think it's important for people to understand, you know, what we have here. And I think that's that's the problem. It doesn't matter if you're, I can't stand the left. I can't stand the right. I can't stand people in the middle that don't understand the left or right. I, I can't stand the religion and the Christian. The look at the look at the nationalism of Christianity that's happening right now. Like, be careful, people. Like that goes against everything God says. If you're a God fearing man, um, I'm not going to get into it, but um, that's for that's for people to investigate and understand themselves before they start speaking and thinking they know what they're talking about, uh, especially when it pertains to politics or warfare. Uh, but. The, the, the biggest thing that I think we would all agree on and we'd be stupid not to is the fact that out of 327 million people in the country, right, we have something very uniquely different from 95% of the rest of the world. Yeah. That's freedom, yeah. a, a, you know, a truly unique republic freedom. Yeah. So that's 4.5% of the entire world. That's it, man. This and they, is the and last they all free, want to come here. This is the last free stand on earth. Yeah. That you and I get the, the opportunity and hopefully the, the gratitude and the appreciation to step on. And that's why I think I put myself overseas as much as I did and why a lot of guys do 
and why we serve is because we're overseas in these shitty environments and we stay over there. I, I, I got away sick, right? When I would come home, uh, I don't, I never got homesick. I, I come home and I'd be like, I can't, I can't be here in this man. There's people draw, walking around drinking Starbucks and shit. There's people like living the life they, they, you know, and I, I, I mean, I enjoy the capitalism. I enjoy love, uh, love my job. I love, you know, what, what building something does help create for my family in America. Um, it's the American dream, man. Right. But at the end of the day, I miss being over in horrible, war-torn, tyrannical, poverty-stricken environments because when I'm in that, it reminds me so much of what I get to go home to, the appreciation for what I have back home waiting for me. And uh, and people don't know what that feels like. And and I, you can't say, well, you don't know because you weren't there. You know, like, you know, typically the veteran talking to the, to the civilian, uh, I don't, that's not their job to know what that's like. That was our job. That's what we chose in our life. That's how we designed our life. And we went in and served our country, protected, put foot to ask for it, communities, policing with law enforcement officers. We're all serving because we hopefully fundamentally and never forget the principle that only 4.5% of the world is truly free. That's it. Everybody else, you can say, oh, well, South Korea's got freedom. No, they don't. Okay. You know, France, Britain, all these people, they get freedom. They can walk around and go to the Eiffel Tower. No, they don't. Not self-determinism. That's, that's not self-determinism. That's not right. a true republic freedom. Right. right. And, uh, and I, again, you know, you go back to the old uh, quotes that have been thrown around um, from Benjamin Franklin. It is a republic if you can keep it, right? We know that. Yeah. Uh, at least, well, I asked my kids, like, you ever you ever heard that quote? They're like, no, we never heard that. And um, so people don't know. They're not educating down. They're not teaching their children these things. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my kids, fortunately, have taken a great interest in it lately. Yeah, mine um, too. We were watching The Patriot one day. <laughs> I just put it on, you know, I'm not yeah. thinking anything of it. And then yeah. all of a sudden that, that scene where, you know, little guys are up in the wood line and he's like, Aim hey, small, miss small, miss small. Oh, yeah. And my kids, uh, my youngest goes, Dad? I was like, yeah, buddy. And he just sat there for a second and I paused it. He's like, I mean, he's 14 now, right? And he's like, would you trust us to do that? If we had to, and I was like, okay, it's happening. <laughs> so I, I try to hold my shit together. I was like, I said, you know what, Hudson, that's a really good question. Um, would you like to find out? And he's like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> like, it's, it's, the, it's the rare, it's like Tom Brady's son asking if he wants to play catch. He's asking if he wants, you know, if, if he, he think he could survive in a gunfight. <laughs> <laughs> He's asking the one dad who could like, well, let's go down to the lab. Let's find out. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I started, um, I took him out and I said, well, the first thing you have to learn is you have to commit, right? Because you can't start something, you know, unless you commit to it. And so what I want you to do is if you want to shoot something and be accurate, you need to understand the machine first. Are you willing to understand the machine before I take you and learn how to shoot before learning the tactics? Um, which is a big problem in our firearms community. Everybody wants to teach tactics first. It's like, it's not about tactics, it's about foundation. It's about, you know, Tom Brady doesn't work on tactics every day. Speaking of him, he works on the foundation, his, mm -hmm. his principles of mechanics and ocular science, and then he can apply that in any tactical scenario he wants. But you can't take tactics and put it into basic fundamentals. It's impossible. And people will try to do that. Um, 
but yeah, we did that. I took them in the office and I, I said, okay, I'm going to give you guys your own issued M4. So they got a little BCM SBRs and they got Surefire suppressors on them. And actually Hayden didn't want that. He wanted it to be loud. So I'm like, all right, fine, that's cool. <laughs> um, and I made them zero the optics, made them understand it, made them take it apart and clean it. And I said, okay, you guys graduated that. Let's go out and do it. And they started, by the end of the day, they were running IA drills up and down the range, having a good time. And, uh, and then I said, I pulled them together and I gave them a hug and I said, guys, yeah, I trust you to take that shot. That's pretty cool. And so it was a cool experience for us, but I had to figure out the right way for them because for me, I, dude, I was breaking into my dad's gun safe with paper clips and the little glass case in the hallway trying to get the gun out so I could go shoot the trees and shoot neighbor's cats and whatever the hell I could get my hands on. And uh, I got my ass in a lot of trouble because I was too curious. My dad wouldn't give me the access unless it was hunting season or something like that. And uh, so I have this now issue where I'm not used to this. I got hundreds and hundreds of weapons and vaults, you know, and, and they come in and I'm like, hey, guys, wait, come on in. You want to check anything out? They're like, no, dad, I'm hungry. And I'm like, I would have lost my <laughs> yeah, shit I know, if I, I was know. in this room as a yeah, kid. Yeah. And uh, so I'm like, are they ever going to be interested in this? You know, and I don't want to ever force my kids to do anything. Right. Um, but then when they started asking that question, it took a catalyst. And the catalyst for, for them was, was movie? during COVID, oh, they can yeah. feel their principles and freedoms being taken yeah. away. They're not allowed to do certain things at school. And I would show this movie and they said, Dad, could that actually happen? I'm like, absolutely. It not only could it happen, it has happened. And, you know, and then they go, yeah, that's right. And do you think it could happen again? Well, sons, it could absolutely happen in our lifetime. Yeah. How about right now? Almost? Next thing you know, the catalyst yeah. starts happening yeah. and then there's there's an interest. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, I think uh, freedom is an interesting infection and that's why the left hates it so much because all we have to do is touch a lefty with a little freedom and they get right-headed. It's hard to step away from it once you've touched it, but you got to get people to embrace it. Um, my daughter, she's 15, super bright, super high achiever. And can't help but being slightly wokeity woke because of the environment. And even immersed in the red, white, and blue patriotic, God-fearing knuckle dragon household that she came <laughs> up in. And I have heard her as COVID's gone down, you know, she she will wear a mask like her mom just to avoid conflict. But one micron, three microns, people. That's Masks right. Only stop the three microns. COVID is one micron. It's a f Okay. So, so, she, so she'll, you know, she basically, she's like, look, I don't, you know, cause I'll, I'll, I'll make the manager call the cops. I'm like, Hey, you, you tell me your manager, Mr. Manager, go get the fucking cops. I'm grocery shopping. I'm not putting a mask on. And you know, they've been with me with the manager following me around, talking on the radio, calling the police. Yeah. They've been with me while I've thrown cash at the register and walked out and they say, I'm stealing. I said, you got my money. And I know it's more than I owe it's you. Mandate. It's not a law. And so I've just been resistant. I've worn a mask this whole time. The only time I've worn a mask is because I've had to travel twice and I had to do it or was, you know, I wasn't going to be able to travel. Um, I've just been a rebel rouser. I probably had the police call on me 50 times. I, I forced them to call the cops. And not being hostile, not being dangerous, just like it's the only vote I have between elections is a police chief saying how much of his time is being or her time is being wasted by their cops being called over masks. But my kids, what's interesting, my, my son's like a gangster about it. He won't wear a mask anywhere where I give him a little bit of shade when it was at the height. You know, we're past the height of it now, it seems. But just to see their liberty, their want of liberty coming out of them. And my my daughter, who by all rights should be pretty, pretty wokeity-woke, she's the only one of her friends who's anti-mask. She speaks out about it. Now, she doesn't want to jam up and lose friends or all right, of that. Right. So she, she's met that social pressure of teenagers. I get that. Yeah. That's their universe they're figuring out. 
but she's um she's super liberty oriented um if you found the same thing with your kids are all three of them pretty liberty oriented there's been uh questions asked i'm like don't even start no <laughs> absolutely not well, you know, Dad, we maybe we should wear a mask. So I'm like, okay, let's sit down and talk to some of the leading experts on this. And you know, when you put a mask on, you know, the human can only take in what is it, three, four hundred parts per million. And then you put a mask on, you instantly go to six to seven hundred instantly, right? So it's not something you want to go work out in unless it's a proper workout. It's type bad of mask. for you, right? Doctors only use it, and you ask them all, they're on the right side um, of morals and ethics. I'll say it's for splatter it's for droplet it's for sneeze it's for that kind of stuff or maybe maybe bad breath it might help me a little bit but it's not going to stop something that's down to one micron um and also you're increasing you know you're hurting your vo2 max you're you know now you get in a conversation even a heated conversation where you go out and you do a little bit of walking or exercise you're at potentially 1500 to 2000 parts per million which is not good for the human body from you know that you're I, I see people out walking you not see this i know and i see people out walking in them and i'm just are you out of your minds and then i see people driving in their cars alone with them on and i'm, I'm just yeah. i'm out of my mind about it i'm like yeah. are you kidding like now i, I have seen the slit I, I was at snooze the little breakfast place over there off shea 101 okay there was a woman with a slit and she was putting her fork through the slit in her mask as she ate so she could keep the mask on as she eats it was disgusting it was nasty it was like i wanted to yeah Un unbelievable <laughs> i want a big banner for the back of my truck that says take off your fucking mask you're by yourself when i'm driving in on the freeway you know yeah crazy well um so well, uh, it's easily there's no preventative right everybody's in the vaccine vax that vac it's not about vaccines vaccines are preventative what's the therapy What's the therapy? How do I, if I have a cold, well, I couldn't prevent getting it. What am I going to do to get rid of it? There's nothing to talk about that, but there is. We could have killed COVID immediately if we'd have just done the nasal wash like Holloway and, and the guy in Malone's saying, right? It's a very simple concept. I use a 10% iodine wash mixed in 250 milliliters of water, distilled water. And every night after going to work, being around people, I put a half Oh, you do bottle. a nutty pot thing? No, I just take a, a baby dropper the big ones the milliliters on the side yep. and i just fill it up with the iodine water solution okay. and i put it back in my throat and each nostril for about a minute and then gurgle it spit it out and then i i gurgle with hydrogen peroxide or listerine's fine and you kill it where it breeds it's going to hmm. be in you it's going to it's going to start that incubation or whatever they call that process yeah. um in your um in your nose which is where it's going to again continue to breathe but you'll kill most of it and your body in theory should take care of the rest of it now some people it's not going to potentially work on yeah. all but uh they would have actually knocked it out of the park if they would have they would have done that i feel like it's just the typical this is the reason what's happened is the reason the government should be in charge of nothing because they're bad at everything the yeah. only things they should do are things nobody else would do like a military that's the only thing they should do you know, interstate commerce. Even that, I mean, if it was a business, it'd been bankrupt the day after it started. That that's the that's the reason why they're the only ones who can do it, right? Yeah. But uh, but to have them in charge of commerce and freedom and walking around, where you, what businesses can be open, what businesses can be closed, it's been a pretty trying couple of years for us freedom loving patriot types because. You know, I want, you know, I've got some old fashioned skill sets and I want to just make things right. And, you know, <laughs> I got a lot to risk. Well, I, you know, people say, well, what hope is there? And I'm like, well, first off, the, the idea that you are, uh, you know, the whole concept, right? The whole is the world. Eight billion people now, I think we have. Like 40 years ago, you believe that 40 years ago, we only had 4 billion people on this earth. 
Um, so it's like, how are we going to sustain? Um, you know, but again, as the world grows and problems get bigger, it's going to affect us. People are going to want what we have, that 4.5%. Um, so, you know, you're that unique individual soul inside of that 8 billion. And what happens is when you become a part of the 8 billion, you find love in it, you find tribe, you find business, you find success, failure, you know, you find everything in, in life in that whole, which can also make you lose your true unique fundamental self. And then you start forgetting these ideas of freedom. And that's where you start getting these woke people that can't see that. And they can't even be educated to that. You can't tell them anything else. It's almost, it's a ideology almost. Yeah. You know? It's like trying to go over to a, you know, a, a foreign country like in Africa and go into a deep, deep tribe and say, hey, you need to start using phones. They're going to make the fuck out of here. You know? Right. It's like us going in Afghanistan and trying to force people to read books and, and <laughs> go into technology. Some yeah. of them are going to do it and some of them do it great. Yeah. And, but the majority of that culture is not going to do that. Right. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, there are people out there, I know for me, I've got a, what is it, one in 400 trillion chance to become a human being. That's what, I think that's what the number is. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's if you think about that, put that in perspective, all right, um, I'm not going to waste it. You yeah. Know? I'm not going to waste it on, on this bullshit. I'm not going to get involved in, like, going back to the politic question. I stay as neutral as I possibly can. Um, and, you know, it's like the, the whole, you know, going back, I saw the turning point thing on the wall there. Um, somebody came, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was Mark or not, one of the politicians, somebody came up to me and said, so what do you think of the event? This is great, isn't it? And I was like, um, what's so great about this? And it's like the, the fact that all of these people, tens of thousands of people come to one place to, to stand and fight. I'm like, fight against what? Fight against, you answer that question. Fight against what? Well, you know, the, the left. No, you mean the American people. They are the left. You may hate them, right? But they are the American people. Don't you ever fucking forget that. And you're asking me to fight against my brothers and sisters in this country when you haven't tasted pain. You haven't tasted violence. And I'll tell you, and you know this, the people that have seen violence, you know what they want? Not fucking violence. Yeah. And so stop calling for it. And it's a shame that, you know, it's a, it was a great inspirational, motivating event. I mean, I, I, it was awesome to see all these people it's really great to, trying great to, to have educate life yeah, people. It, but I want people yeah. to realize at the root, it's a shame that we even have to have that event because you didn't have to have that, you know, years ago. Uh, but now we do. Why? Because we are up against a different threat. We are up against an ideology. Yeah. We are up against a, a cultural war. Um well, I see. But I don't know how to fight it, man. Well, the fight to me, uh, and I'm going to say this out loud and before you jump on me, the fight is about education because when people are educated on civics and when they're educated on how this works and when they're educated on the history of government overreach, government mass killing, and governments getting out of line, when they're educated on the checks and balances that hold this fragile flower together, mm -hmm. they become patriots. But when they don't know anything about it because they've been kept in the dark by, uh, I don't know, by I think by a systemic education that's filled with mediocre people who have a leftist kind of ideology to begin with, they're not, they've abdicated their responsibility. You know, the reason your kids embrace it, the reason my kids embrace it is because we've probably talked to them about the setup of the government and what it's there for and what the intention of the founding fathers were. I mean, the founding fathers get brought up weekly in my house while we're sitting around the yeah, table Yeah, I think talking. my kids could probably recite it better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not because of school. They get some version of it at school, but when you plug it right. into them and, and uh, our feet out in the ground, so to speak, and my grandfather came from Greece and why he came here and the opportunity we have and we look around, 
You got to connect it to something. I think that's the the battle is for the uh, understanding of our citizen. That's the fight. I, I don't disagree whatsoever. I, I think that's actually hitting it right on the head because um, what, what people fail to remember is that a lack of knowledge creates fear. And fear creates what? Hatred. And hatred breeds destruction. And so it's a cycle, just like life, right? Yeah. Uh, just like, you know, I've been hearing the quote going around, which I've loved for for decades when I first heard it. Um, um, and I think my grandfather actually first person that that mentioned it because of that the greatest generation of all time right as we we call it um and of course they're good for certain things are really bad for others but uh those are strong people they were strong men as the old saying right mm -hmm. and and that created the good times that we've lived for a while and then weak people that have come up weak ideas bad ideas yeah. have created bad times well if you took a fucking map pen we are here what do you think happens next Strong men, hopefully, hopefully stand up and hopefully. create good times. And that's a yeah. big question I get all the time, especially yeah. in the gun community is, and I hate the question, man, when do we take up arms? Never. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Why would you almost, ask that Almost never. You know? Um, you don't ever want to do that. People ask me this stuff all the time, too, like I'm some sort of clairvoyant for the future. And I'm like, look. Oh, I know. I get it. We should not be taking up arms. Let me tell you, what we should be doing is we should be everywhere we can at every party, at every social Educating event, people. talking about the Constitution, talking about the rights, talking about Locke and Hume and Montesquieu and the whole idea of self-determinism and equate it when you're talking to women and moms about their kids going off to war because of weakness, equate it to, um, equate it to them having financial freedom in the, in the modern world. And there's never been a place to be more financially independent than right here, right now, you know, connect all those dots for people. So they stop wanting to burn buildings down. Right. And that's the thing I think we're lacking self-reliance in the world, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I think a lot of people that ask those questions to guys like us, uh, and say, well, what do we do? When do we, well, be, first off, you should always be self-reliant, right? If you're waiting on a government handout, a stimulus check, you are not self-reliant, period. There's no ends of buts about it. You can argue that all you want, man. You are the one putting your hand out. Now, I get there's people that aren't getting paid good. They're losing their jobs. Government's forcing that. So I'm, I'm not saying anti that. You know, take what you can get, but be self-reliant. Um, you know, and, and if you looked at, well, could I defend myself? I don't know, from a scale of one to 10, could you? You know, could you defend yourself with a knife? Could you defend yourself with your fist? Could you defend yourself with a gun, handguns, firearms, you know, shotguns in general, or, or uh, firearms in general? Um, you know, scale your, sc score yourself, you know, and then go into survivability. You know, what about survival? You know, could you score yourself from one to 10 on that? Oh, yeah, I'm a six. What about urban survival? What's that? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> You're a two. <laughs> You're a zero because you didn't know what it was. Yeah. Um, you know, jungle, what, uh, any type of uh, rural environments or mountain and desert, you know, that's a, they're different animals. So you have to score yourself on the scale. Martial arts, um, defensive and tactical evasive driving skills. Oh, I've had a driver's license since I was 16. Well, I don't care because you're not a good driver just because you've been driving for 40 years. Um, you know, compare yourself to the top drivers out there. Um, compare yourself to the top shooters, the top athletes. And then that's how I scale myself. And so therefore, if I can find a weakness in that, in one of those areas, I will absolutely pursue that knowledge. Is, is all this therapy for you? Maybe it is. It's a good question. I think some of it's coping. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, definitely the, definitely the brain stuff. Definitely the, uh, the training, the storytelling. You know, a world meaning, of chaos, a world of chaos and a world of, uh, a world of uncertainty and chaos. You know, I was just wondering like, what's at the heart of all of this? Is it, Gross. is it, is it therapy? Uh, you know, is it's, um, when you are uncomfortable and you know this, 
uh, and I think everybody can agree to this, uh, when you are uncomfortable, you have to ask yourself, is that being uncomfortable going to be traumatic for you or is it going to be growth for you? Right. And because some people, you know, they won't, they won't jump in a pool. They won't get in cold water. They won't, you know, take up a firearm. They won't become self-reliant. They won't get a job. They won't start a business. Right. Um, they stop it, living. Because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I might go through too much, you know, pain or trauma if, right. that, if I get myself into that. Um, well, okay, if I've encountered somebody, like on the job, hey, I'm, I see somebody that's lacking resolve to finish a product, I go, what's going on? Well, I'm just, I don't have the education for this. I don't have the technology and I'm really uncomfortable right now. I'm like, okay, so you're telling me you lacking resources. Yes. And you're also telling me you lack resolve, which is resourcefulness. And then they typically go, never mind, boss. And they, they take <laughs> off the because they, the, they know what's coming next. Right. Um, you know, yeah, I'll try to give you the most resources possible in life, but if I can't give those to you, what are you left with? Resourcefulness, right? Determination, creativity, passion, yeah. uh, all those things, you know, curiosity, Trump, wisdom. And it trumps everything. It trumps everything. It does. Because um, I didn't have nothing when I bought that CNC. I, I spent my entire savings on that thing, man. And I didn't know how to turn the damn thing on, but I was determined. I was creative. And when that machine wasn't working, I pulled out the block of clay again, or I pulled out the dental floss and the needle to sew my shit back together. Uh, I didn't need all that fancy stuff. And I see kids sitting around right now. I just don't know how to start this business model because I don't have all the stuff. I'm like, you don't need yeah. it, man. So we're losing that even self-reliance yeah. and, and resourcefulness there. So I think back to the question, though, is it therapy? Um, <laughs> yeah, because the more I'm uncomfortable, the more I grow. And the more you grow, the more you're self-improving and becoming a bigger and better version of yourself. Uh, it's just like when people say practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Practice makes improvement. Right, it makes improvement to the next level because you can always beat your record that you're at right now. You can always do better tomorrow than what you did today if you're willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think diving into a new subject, whether it's brain science or you know mechanics or flying an airplane or whatever you might want to do in life, there's a difference between the man in the arena and the man in the stands, and we know that, right? And I think we we're, like right now we're in the arena or we're in the stands. We're talking about these things in life right. that we're gonna go do. Yeah. You know, when I when I get done with this podcast, I'm gonna go back and execute, man. I'm gonna go do something. I'm gonna help other people. And uh, whether that's building something, communicating to somebody, whatever, I'm gonna execute, and that and that's gonna grow me. Um, and as soon as I stop growing, I for me, I start like right now with this my even pulling damn calf muscle. Um, I'm like, yeah, it's just a pulled calf muscle. I'm like, no, Travis, it's blood clots. You're on blood thinners. Be very careful. Don't go in a knife shop. Don't, <laughs> don't fall down. Um, and I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to do it anyways. But I do have to be careful and it drives me batshit crazy because then, it, then the mental injury starts happening, Yeah. you know, and then the mental actually increases the physical and yep. then I got to break myself out of that. Yep. And so I, I, I enjoy that being uncomfortable to where, yes, it, it potentially is a coping and, and therapy for me. Um, because I want to leave the better, I, I, I was, when I just created my brand, you know, the, the dragonfly aspect, it's, you know, one of the biggest things that stands out to me besides being the greatest hunter and the most adaptive species on the face of the planet and the most efficient, uh, but it's a self-reflection aspect when you see it fluttering and the light and the wings hit, get hit with that sunlight and the Asians look at it as a symbol of self-reflection, uh, the Tombow, like this, you know, I know you used to be in the samurai swords, mm -hmm. which is a whole other conversation we have later. Um, um, I'm trying to find a legitimate dragonfly Tombow. And uh, so I, I love that aspect of looking at the self-reflection of myself and going, you know what? Dragonflies only live for 30 days when you see them. That's it. You know, they, they're underwater for a while and they, you know, spread their wings and fly. And then I go, well, shit, how is that possible to have the longest living creature on the face of the planet, the most adaptive, but only be alive for 30 days? 
How is that possible? And it puts time in perspective for us. Right. You're going back to that illusion right. that we have so much time. We don't. And it makes me go, well, what's my 30 days, man? What right. am I going to do in my 30 days on this planet to leave it a bigger and better version than when I came in it? That's, even if it's just a little bit, man, I'm okay with that. Is, that the, is that the nutshell on you? That's the nutshell. All right. Listen, <laughs> absolute pleasure having you in. Our second time meeting, and I won't forget this one. Uh, it's been fun having you in. I hope you enjoyed coming in. Uh, I think, um, I don't know, you have a podcast, right? We are uh, dialing up the content, and we're going to launch it hopefully as soon as we can. Okay. Uh, it's uh, so, and, and you've done a lot of podcasts with other folks oh, yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, have you done this kind of deep dive with folks about you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A few times now. Yeah. Right, but no, cool. I love it. I love, Who have you going to talk sharing. with? Oh, man. I, I, tons of people. Uh, we've had people in the shop. Uh, we've had, um, I just got off a Q's podcast over in New Hampshire uh, last month. Um, man, my mind is going blank. I've, I've done so many of them, actually. Okay. Yeah. They're cool. out there. Well, listen, absolute pleasure sitting down, getting to know you a little bit. I hope everyone, uh, I, I hope everyone of my uh, my uh, folks who stumble across my podcast have enjoyed uh, outside of our normal political bent. And I think it's great for guys to hear that and gals to hear that. And I appreciate you being here. Thanks a bunch. Great. Thanks Semper for having Fidelis. me. Semper Fi, brother. Yeah, thanks. Yeah.